welcome everyone to November 25th, 1992 in the Legacy Series. It is the Richfield Coliseum. It is the uh, Richfield Township, Ohio. It is the Survivor Series. This is a pay-per-view that I have kind of put off watching my entire life. And now I have watched it. And I don't altogether know what I think, so I look forward to talking it out. I look forward to hearing what Ms. Fan has to say. It is a pay-per-view that represents transition. Imagine this close to your pay-per-view, losing the Ultimate Warrior, losing the British Bulldog. And so you got kind of a mix of things. you got this feud between Big Boss Man and Nails, even though you might be right to think Big Boss Man has been out of the company for a year. you got guys like Razor and Perfect in the ring with guys like Savage and Flair. you got Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels trying to close the show. you got the pay-per-view debut of the Ultimate War, excuse me, Yokozuna. you got um, the Head Shrinkers. you got High Energy. So there's, there's an array of things, an array of guys, array of errors. But when it's all said and done, do we have clarity on where we're going and if it's working and what's happening? Because this is the pay-per-view that is going to close the year and it is going to give way to that thing that we're going to come to know as the road to WrestleMania or WrestleMania season. It's going to give way to that first Royal Rumble where the winner goes to WrestleMania and maybe we're in a time where you need to see 30 people in the ring just to decide who's going to WrestleMania. I don't know, but maybe we'll find out a little bit today. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and colleague by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings. Miz fan fans, welcome indeed to the 1992 Survivor Series. I feel like we've been talking about that transition process at least since WrestleMania, maybe even before 1992, the year of transition, and a slow and sometimes painful process it has been, but I would say it is almost done because uh, we are about to enter soon into 1993. Tonight we will see the last uh, kind of big spot of honoring folks like randy savage and rick flair uh we'll see mr perfect also in that big match and he will not last out 1993 in his comeback i don't believe we'll see big boss man in his last storyline and uh, as you said he's already been out of the spotlight we'll see folks like owen hart the head shrinkers we'll see tatanka going over again for better or for worse yokozuna here to make a crushing uh impact Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, all those names that you're going to be hearing about in all these new gen years that we're about to enter into. They are here. They are prominent. The old guard is going away, whether they should or not. That transition, it is uh, firmly upon us. It is overpowering and undeniable at this point. Yeah, there's a whole lot to talk about. Um, one thing I want to ask before we jump into all of that, because as of this recording, AEW has just produced their first Rampage. So any thoughts on the first episode, Ms. Sam? Um, it is something that uh, I have not watched yet, and I will be watching later today. So uh, I'm a little behind the times, as usual, with uh, 
fatherhood and all sorts of other things going on. So uh, just remember, real life comes first before wrestling. But yes, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, there's some good stuff, I think, booked for that show. And uh, by the time this airs, it certainly will be old news. And uh, we maybe all be talking about something else in AEW. So we'll wait and see what that could be. Excellent. So it is a one-hour show. So um, I think that in itself... I would just like to tell the wrestling world that I am a fish that is trying to get caught, but nobody has any bait for me. So <laughs> I am doing my best. I watched the first 22 minutes of, of it myself. That's the first time I've watched, I think, any wrestling in a long, long time. And so, you know, it was it was fun to watch. I like the one hour and the energy. Like, it, it feels like people care and people are excited and something's happening. That That part reminds me a lot of the early nitro era where it was one hour and it was different kind of broadcast booth, a different thing that you've seen before. So there were some good things uh, that I saw, but they still still waiting for that bait because <laughs> it reminded me that there's a lot of people in AEW that if I was watching who I would potentially like, and I forgot about that. So, <laughs> you know, Good to remember. I do know one thing that happened that we can talk about without uh, spoiling it for me, and uh, I would think it would make you happy. Your man Christian, I think, picked up a world title, if I saw correctly. Yeah, that is what got me to watch. Um, how do I say this? At having not watched wrestling in a long time, if I had turned it on without the spoilers, I would have thought that uh, Dalton Castle was wrestling uh, Christian's dad. So... <laughs> You know, it was a little off-putting to see him, and I'm not. Uh, maybe I need to see him in a storyline, you know. But I was attracted to the fact that I think if you're going, if there's anything left to do with him, is to give him the Impact World Title because that is really where a lot of his legacy was. You know, right. he never got what he wanted until he left the WWE mm-hmm. and went to Impact Wrestling. Uh, Taz is also in the booth and. I have lived long enough, apparently, that my good old days when I watch wrestling now is early 2000s TNA. That's where life is right now, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that uh, you mentioned a few times that Christian, what, Monty Brown, I think, uh, promo that uh, hooked you back in briefly, at least. Christian's a little trickster because he is a I'm a fan of Christian. And he's also helped produce the kind of wrestling that will never allow me to be a fan again. So it's (laughs) all, you know, because. I'm old. I, I have my generation and my style that I come from. And watching them, it's not a bad match. The fans are very, very hyped for the match. The announcers are very, very hyped for the match. Mm. But it's just so much, like, mm. revving up and running at each other. And then Kenny Omega does, like, he could just, like, pick you up with more impact and throw you on your back. But he'll pick you up, turn you sideways, turn you another direction, and then barely drop you. And it's better because he switched you up a few times or something. <laughs> or you know, it's just it, it's weird to watch something like that when you haven't watched current wrestling in a long time. I can imagine so. Um, uh, anyone who knows me probably knows I am not the biggest Kenny Omega fan. Uh, it's unfortunate you could tune in for Christian against um, I don't know Moxley or uh, Eddie Kingston or Cody Rhodes or somebody that I, I appreciate a bit more that might be more your style. Yeah, Kenny Omega, uh, really not for me, especially right now. It's just the weird kind of indecipherable character he has where 
don't know, instead of having a personality, he's just kind of, like, weird and goofy and uh, says things that don't really make sense. But I don't know. Some people love the guy, so I don't want to dampen yeah. that. Just for me, I really don't don't understand it. Yeah, I got no issue with that. You know, he made a legacy for himself. Sure. He's supposed to be, at one point, the best wrestler in the world for a long time, according to a group of people. So, you know, he's got his <laughs> space. Nobody is denying that. Indeed. Um, I'm just trying to process it. Do you know the announce booth? Uh, I think I saw. It's like four guys, right? And yeah. I'm going to say Scalibur, Taz, Mark Henry, and somebody. Big Show, maybe? Jericho. Jericho, okay. I knew it was four wrestlers, so that's not a bad booth. I think four is too many for any booth, but uh, I don't have beef with any of those people. I like the – my favorite thing from the from the 22 minutes I watched, and I watched it for Christian, but my favorite thing I think was the booth. So, oh, oh, wow. Okay. All right. I, you know, I I, it's not perfect yet. You can tell they were trying to get their you know legs under them, which is not easy with four people. But it's in, I like the fact that Mark Henry is both announcing and then he runs off to do the uh, interviews because that gives that kind of a like ongoingness and authenticity. Jericho starts off like he's cutting promos, which is why I critiqued of Piper, Savage and other wrestlers. But then when, when he starts making insights in the match, he has maybe the best insights. Mm-hmm. Of like the history of the guys. It's another match too between two people from Canada, so I don't know if it's that or if he just did a good job. Um, the uh, other guy is who he is. You know, I don't know him much, but he's a staple sure. in all of this. And then who does that leave? Altaz is a personal favorite of mine because of memory. So, so the booth made me happy. Yeah, I mean they they generally have a good commentary. I'd say they have a lot of like people on the payroll that can just slot in and be good commentators um during the uh pandemic for a while it was just shivani and jericho and they were actually a great two-man booth together um who else they got eddie kingston who jumps on there sometimes and he's great they've got just just a lot of people who can jump on in there and do really good commentaries i don't know if it's the environment or just kind of giving it to the right people or what but generally I do enjoy the commentary, though I'm not I'm I'm kinda over old man Jim Ross, but I think that's been true for a while, so it is what it is. Yeah, I was very happy neither Tony or Jim. Like I don't I don't wanna watch it and not know why it's not another hour of dynamite. <laughs> sure, yeah. No, I I appreciate it. it. Sounds like they made it a little different. I think that's important. So I don't I don't wanna bore uh, folks listening, if you came here for WWF The Legacy Series, but I do want to talk a little bit because I haven't watched wrestling in a long time, so even 22 minutes was interesting. The fans were super hyped. I'm trying to figure out in real time like all the people I like in this company, even though I don't watch it. Sure. Uh, so at the very top, MJF, I am a big... Even if I didn't like MJF, he would be, for my taste, one of the most impressive people in the sport. I think I would like the Blondes. I never have watched them, but I think I would like them. Okay. Um, I like uh, Luke Perry's son and his partner. Yep, yep, they do a good job. So that's right there. It's like two, four, five. I like Christian. So that's that, you know that's five off the top of my head. Um, and I, I don't even know most of the roster, so <laughs> it just sucks that you can't watch wrestling when you want to watch wrestling. But I do want to give them credit because one thing to me, nobody makes really good decisions for my taste, or else I'd be watching. And when Christian came back. I was excited for like 10 seconds, and then I was like, but this is not 2005. Mm-hmm. You know, that moment has kind of passed. And then when they gave him the belt, it's not something I'm going to watch because I wasn't into it as much as I wanted to be, but 
if you're going to do anything with him that's going to matter, you're not going to give him the AEW title. I don't think that makes any sense. Right. So give him the Impact title and let him go have promos on Impact. I am a guy who, what, almost 10 years ago, God help me, when I was writing for Bleacher Report, you know, mm-hmm. we were, I was hoping that Christian was crossing back to Impact when he gave that Hall of Fame speech, but, you know, it, just, it ended up just being that. Right. But, like, he can't, he never has anything beyond tag wrestling in WWE if he doesn't leave and go to Impact. So I think whether he likes it or not, that's kind of where his legacy is in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a Christian fan as well. If it were me, I probably would not have um, put that title on him at this point in his career. I'm glad that he's able to come back, do some matches. I think uh, he's had some good showings. But, yeah, I mean, at his age, um, you know, and it's not just about age. It's just he's not he's not as good as he used to be. And, I mean, who yeah. would be at his age? Very few people, I think, could maintain uh, through the injuries and through, uh, you know, all the time off he's already had to take and all that. So uh, it is what it is. Time waits for no man. Um, it is nice kind of that if he had to win a title, I think the Impact title is the one to do. As you said, there's just that history there, that connection. So, um, yeah, maybe that's something I would have done. But uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, really upset about it or anything, you know. And uh, since Impact only occasionally – has anything to do with AEW and this partnership is kind of uh, stupid, in my opinion. It doesn't really matter much, so here we are. Well, you need someone other than Kenny Omega probably to lose the belt back to Impact. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I, mm, I will uh, say too, real quick, like... It can't be about age. You can't just say, hey, you don't get to wrestle if you're at this age. Right. But at the same time, you got to be – like, Ric Flair wants to come back to wrestle now, you know. <laughs> you just, you just got to be careful. I don't know where the line is. It's not mine to call. I don't know if it's one person's to call, but it is – it's an interesting thing to – because people technically, I guess, could wrestle till they die or, like, Ric Flair – Ric Flair desires to die in the ring. Like, is that something you put in your mind when you decide to book him or not? I don't know. Yeah, uh, wherever the line is, it is before Ric Flair. <laughs> Please do not put Ric Flair in another match. And, you know, not for nothing, I nothing has shocked me more than the fact that they not only brought in Sting, they not only had him wrestle, but I have actually enjoyed it. If you know my history with Sting, that is not something that I expected. But there's some, I don't know, they made it work somehow. So, like... Don't don't say it's just age, you know. It's yes. about what you do, how you do it, who the guy is, what they can do. Uh, there's so many factors. So, yeah, like, uh, you can always be surprised. But please, the line is before Ric Flair, I assure you. <laughs> I like that a lot because I'm not comfortable saying it's age. I don't think that's right. Yeah. And one of my favorite things from the show, this, this is the last thing I'll mention, folks, and we will get into Survivor Series, but... I don't know if it's just the pandemic thing when they didn't have fans. So they got fans and the fans are hyped, but they got people in the wrestlers in the crowd. They got Sting and, uh, and Darby Allen up top. So I liked like just going around the building and there's like wrestlers everywhere. It really feels like a community or a real authentic thing in the way that I, I like to see. Yeah. I think if you ever did try to watch AW, I don't know if you would ever fully get into it. Cause I think you would always run into, uh, certain wrestlers, certain barriers, this, that, and the next thing. And just the, uh, the modernness of it all. <coughs> oh, 
excuse me. Um, but uh, I do think you would constantly run into things that you did like also. So uh, it would probably always be a mixed bag for you. But yeah, the things they do well, I think they do exceptionally well. So there's uh, there's always that in their favor. The thing that they need is something that I like enough to want to show up despite the other stuff. <laughs> right. Yep. You, got you know, it. and I don't know where I'm going to find that or if I will like. I will definitely watch CM Punk, who is clearly coming in on his first match, his first interview, because I'm not even that big a CM Punk fan, but it just feels like, like this is so historical that if you care about wrestling, you got to kind of, you know, watch it and see what goes down. Yeah, so, yeah, it's got that vibe. What, yeah. what do you think that would be? That thing that would draw you in? Is it a person or is it? It's got, a story? it's a person plus a storyline, like, okay. you know, uh-huh. like. The Nitro era, I would have watched that because wrestling was really, really good to, for my taste. But like having like Sluger come in, you know, like if I if, if WCW had been AEW and everything had been the same, but Luger comes in has that ninety five to ninety seven run, there's no way I'm not watching it. It could be right. every other segment could be something I don't like, but I'm watching it, you know. Yeah. But like, who's that guy gonna be? And our or that gal, Britt Baker's at the end of it, and she's not gonna be a favorite of mine, but like. I think I don't know if people all dislike Britt Baker or not, but to me, she looks like an authentic person when I've watched from afar, and she's wrestling on it. And then who else is on the show? Um, God, there's, there's people in the middle. Um, Miro is that a name? Oh yeah, sure. I think you'd like Miro. Yeah, he's on the card. There's a he's wrestling someone I think who is not really part of the company, so that's interesting. I don't know. MJF's the closest thing, but I, don't, I think, like I said, like MJF's not gonna be a, I'm not gonna have soft feelings. I'm not gonna be like, oh, I need to see MJF today. Like I'm like, I don't want to see MJF, and that's why I like him, you know. <laughs> right, right, so, yeah. He's not gonna do it. I don't, I don't know what it would take. It would take the right person in the right angle. Okay. You know, there's just not many that I've liked. Like John Moxley would have been close at one point, but you know, I like when he made his debut. Cody Rhodes, if he hadn't have been, like he's. I think Cody Rose is what made me watch in the beginning, and he's what made me stop watching because I did not feel like I can trust him. So, <laughs> you know, it's not easy. Sure, sure. I understand. It's tough, yeah, when you're kind of on the bubble and you kind of prefer something older. They might draw you in one one day and might uh, repel you the next, certainly. So I get it. Uh, we'll see what happens with them. And uh, I'm enjoying them for the most part, so I will uh, be grateful for the, for the time being. All right, so we'll jump into it, folks. Um, we'll probably be talking about CM Punk very soon, but otherwise, we're going to get back into, like I said, I don't fully know what I think of Survivor Series 1992. Um, I don't know if I'll fully know at the end of this conversation. A lot of wrestlers rubbed me differently than usual, and I don't know if that was by design or by accident or the randomness of the night, but we'll get into it. First, I want to talk about Survivor Series itself because when I was a wrestling fan, it was like, oh, man, WrestleMania at this time, 92, let's say. WrestleMania is super important. SummerSlam is super important. Uh, Survivor Series is kind of fun, but it would never be the pay-per-view I'd probably spend money on. And yet, as we go through this thing, man, there's a lot of a lot of uh, historical stuff uh, that happens at Survivor Series. Like Undertaker is in in many ways making his legacy through Survivor Series. And now I maybe, for me, the most important thing on the show, and we'll get to it later, is the debut of Yokozuna. 
yeah, arguably, I mean, certainly for the next couple of years, he is the guy who's going to make enormous uh, impact in this company, and that uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That's something that I'm wanting to see. Yeah, Vince McMahon runs off. This is the first casket match. It's the first nightstick match. It's a champion versus champion match. So they're kind of listing things at the beginning. And I hate this comparison because I'm a Shawn Michaels guy and not a Bret Hart guy. But is it very true that you can make an argument that for the years, to, the few years to come, that Bret Hart is Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels is the ultimate warrior? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> can Shawn Michaels be like Randy Savage or something? Would that be okay? I would like him a lot better. I'm just thinking <laughs> in the fact that we've not had a title versus title, I don't think, on pay-per-view since Hogan and Warrior. We'll have a, a babyface Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart for the world title, like Hogan Warrior. Bret Hart will mostly be champion in this era, like Hulk Hogan. Shawn Michaels will have, I think, two title reigns, maybe two. Something so, like and he's, he's kind of like Bret Hart, but not like Bret Hart. So, I just mean in certain contexts, could you think of, of maybe Bret Hart as the Hulk Hogan of these few years, and Shawn Michaels is kind of that guy that's kind of like him, but it's not his era. I suppose you could. I think there's a lot of ways those comparisons fall apart, obviously, yeah. but uh, I think you could make that case. I I really want to examine Brett as Hulk Hogan most because there's kind of a feeling that it's his era, but he's going to spend a lot of time in this era not as yeah. champion and not as the focus, so he may not even get to that, that Hulk Hogan uh, comparison level in the first place. Yeah. It's almost for Brett at the beginning of this thing and the end of this thing that, that they'll kind of treat him like that, but right. they'll, they'll just pretend like they didn't try to go to Luger, that they didn't go to Diesel and it <laughs> fell, you know, so you're right in that. And that fits Bret Hart's gimmick. Like what we're seeing full on now is Bret Hart wrestles everybody. He defends his belt all the time. He's a workman, like he's appreciative. He knows how long it took him to get this shot. And I don't know how much of that is gimmick and how much is like what he really feels, but like, if he thought, man, it took eight and a half years, and now I'm the champion, like, wait for the years to come, Brad. It's not necessarily going to just get better. It's um, it's a bit tragic with Bret Hart because, uh, as we've talked about, here is that workman who has brick by brick really kind of built up his career, his ability, his uh, stardom, and it's all very rewarding, and I think rightfully he's talked about as one of the best of all time and one of the most important people in the WWF, but you have to imagine on some level he thought if he just kept stacking up his bricks, he really would get to that Hulk Hogan level, and he never really will. So I don't know if that says something about the kind of wrestler he is and how maybe you can't uh, just brick by brick build a stairway up to that level, or maybe it's just the time and the place that put that out of his reach. Uh, I don't know if it's just something you have to kind of... <sighs> Can an Earth element get that high, I guess, Ooh. maybe is the question, or just part of you have to be born in, like, the fire or the air to kind of fly up to that point? I don't really know, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I think if you're not a regular fan of the show, you won't, you won't know why that's such a great question, but my God... <laughs> That's like the best question I've heard in a long, long time because I think about guys like Triple H. Yeah. Like for 20 years, the company is pretty much his, you know. He might be having issues if, if storylines are to be believed now in the company. But we'll, we'll not go there. But, <laughs> you know, he was never going to get there. Right. Um, who else is Earth? Bret Hart? Because I think the truth, before we get into that part, the truth is, in my mind, 
WWF maybe could have devoted more to him if they chose to, and maybe that would have helped his legacy more. But I think there's also a truth that he simply doesn't have all the tools to always be the guy. Like, I understand why they also went away from him. So, you know. Right. Oh, man. Earth, Earth, Earth. I don't okay. Know if there who are, are many Earth guys who worked their way up even that high, which maybe proves the point to some extent. I think. I don't. I never thought about this, but maybe Earth is the hardest element to succeed at that like top top star level. I don't want that to be true because I really respect the Earth element, but it might be true. Here's something for you. In the last twenty years, I've not been more of a fan for longer than maybe anybody than Nick Aldis, who sure. was a shock for me when I became a fan for him. But if ever I've seen someone work so hard and get so little from it, it's Nick Aldis. So, sure. like. I don't know. I think a part of the problem is Earth guys also are thinking guys, so they they know they're the greatest before anyone else thinks so, and that, and I think they tell you before you agree with them, you know. So <laughs> like they never catch you by surprise, you know, you know, like a fire guy or a sky, you know, they might like, oh my god, like you talk about the boyhood dream trope, but at the time it's like, oh my god, Shawn Michaels is a world champion, you know, right. but like. Bret Hart's like, I have been telling you for eight and a half years, but, you know, I'm the only one who believed it. You know, people don't like to be, like, won over that way, like, where at the end, the babyface champion says, I told you so at the end of it. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. And, I mean, Earth, with Earth, you could see the guy, like, building the whole time. So it's tough maybe when you knew a guy, when he just had, like, a one-story little brick hut, and now he has, like, a skyscraper, but you're like, yeah, I knew you, and you had, like, the hut. So yeah. it's different. If you're air or fire, I think you just kind of explode up there. Um, you know, and some, like you said, you could take people by surprise and kind of, like, suddenly you're the greatest, and they can they can buy it more easily. I don't know. There's something about it, though. Who are? So obvious greatest of all time, folks, and the, the usual suspects, like the Hogans. Yeah. Flair, um, who else? Rock, Austin, those guys, none of them are just pure Earth. Hogan's the closest thing to Earth, but he also has something else, obviously. He's used a lot of fire, I think, yeah. under the Earth. What, what is CM Punk? Oh, air, maybe? I have to think about CM Punk. Um, I, he could be anything but Earth, I think. Who, who else we got? Um... Brian could be an Earth I guy. I don't know if it's possible, uh, Bobby Roode could be an Earth guy, you know. Who's that? Uh, I said Bobby Roode, and I said uh, Daniel Bryan. Yeah, and yeah, neither of them are. Like, Daniel Bryan was the closest thing, if he's Earth. He also might be something else, because the way he inspires people. Bobby Roode is another obvious Earth, and he's another guy who he's a favorite wrestler of mine, but he's never going to be the guy, and I knew that. Right. Oh, man. It's Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question that we have gotten ourselves stumped on, but Bret Hart, it's not going to be like, this is going to be the conversation for the next few years because it's almost unofficially Bret Hart. I don't even know how to say it because it's unofficially Bret Hart's era in a way, but WWF's also part of that at times. And then when we're super duper official, a lot of times like it's all, it's Lex Luger, it's Yokozuna, it's Diesel. So, but man, I'm not going to fall into a straight narrative where Bret Hart should have hit more because also at the time Bret Hart, you know, comparatively got more than just about anybody. So, you know, I mean, what are you supposed to give him? Was he supposed to be world champion for five years like Hulk Hogan in his first title ring? 
I don't think that would have been good either. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about it more because certainly Brett had the, the greatest, firmest foundation out of any of them, and that is why after every experiment fails, they will go back to Brett after Yokozuna, after Diesel, after Luger, after uh, even Sean, really. Like, they'll go back to Brett in the end um, over Sean before he leaves. So, I don't know. Certainly... He benefited from being Earth, from being that firm foundation that was, like, unshakable through everything. But also, yeah, I mean, for one reason or another, WWF will continually try to uh, kind of pass him over and go up to uh, what they think is another level. And whether you think it is or not, that is certainly what they're going to try to do. In a way, that puts him a lot like the Savage of the generation, too, though, because Mm. Savage, you know, when Hogan, when you finally had to take the belt off Hogan... You give it to Savage, you know, when you got to go another direction again after Warrior fails, after, you know, all these other things, you give it to Savage because Savage and Brett both love the company. They're committed to the company. You know, they know they got the smarts. They know how to be a world champion. So we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. But sometimes Bret Hart disappoints me. And sure. like I, I, I gave him a phone call because we've been doing 92. And he's the first world champion. I was like, my God, man, your first year, we're done with it. We see why you're so good. We've actually praised you more than we thought. Favorite pay-per-view obviously has to be, you know, SummerSlam, that masterpiece with the British Bulldog. And this man told me his favorite pay-per-view of the year was Survivor Series. And I was like, oh. I don't want to say it, Brett, but I watched it. And to me, it just it didn't live up. But, like, you like this better than Bulldog and Piper? And he's like, obviously, I was on the last match and I won. And Owen was on the first <laughs> match and he lost. And I just hung up the phone because I found that inappropriate. What a statement, though, right? Oh, my gosh. How much um, is that actually from, like, an interview or something? Or uh... No, it's just from okay. the fact that I'm just going to, until we get through with the Brett Owen feud, once in a while I'm going to pretend like, oh, everything Owen would say is true. No, that, yeah, that I get. But, man, if Bret Hart really came out and said this was his favorite, like, match no. of this year or pay-per-view of this year, then I would really – Really start to question that piece of skull that Goldberg put in his brain because he's mm. doing something wrong up there. Well said, because that was also what I was foreshadowing is the fact that the biggest shock for me is that I was underwhelmed by the last match and partly because the crowd was so underwhelmed by the last match. Well, it doesn't help, and I'll talk about this a little more, but I guess I'll just say it now. Here's a match. I don't know if I can remember a main event world title pay-per-view match with as little build as this, because there is nothing here. Mm. Like, I watched all the TV. There's no angle. There's nothing. Like, they came up with one talking point, and they'll say it over and over. Like, oh, Shawn Michaels has nothing to lose and everything to gain, and that is not a replacement for a story or for an <laughs> angle, WWF. So I don't know what the hell happened there, but uh, they really dropped the ball, I think, on building up this main event. Yeah, you take no storyline, plus you've only just established Brett as a main event guy. You haven't even established. Like two years from now, Vince McMahon is going to be telling uh, uh, Pat Patterson and Bruce Pritchard, don't bring up Shawn Michaels anymore to me. He's not a main event guy. I'm not interested. Don't say his name around me because they're they're trying to push him. And this is 1992. So in a way, I guess it's predictable what happened, but it just shocked me. Like – to see, because this is still Brett's kind of big coming out, and this is Shawn Michaels trying to get a shot. And I don't know how, if you're Vincent Man, the booth watching it, you don't think, like, I'm not sure, like, where we're going and if we're in the right, headed in the right direction or not. 
well, he probably did say that, and then he looked around and he saw Yokozuna crushing people yeah. into pancakes, and he said, let's do that instead. So you could decide if that was uh, wise or not, but uh, it'll all be moot. I can't believe we have Skeleton Hogan coming at WrestleMania. Like, yeah. It feels like a fever dream, just to think about it. It is hard to believe right now, because I will say this again. This is a night where uh, Randy Savage pretty much does the job of being, uh, um, laying in the ring, taking the beating, which is his new thing. And <laughs> for some reason, Ric Flair... Like, it's an old night for me for Ric Flair. Ric Flair kind of looks old and disturbed. I don't know how Savage and Flair go from one night having the best match to the next night they look like they're the oldest person in the world and they can never wrestle. Then the next angle, they're going to be in their best they've ever been again. But, you know, it really looks like, in one way, we're closing the door on anything that came before us and we're going the other direction. And yet we we end the card with one of the flattest main events I've seen received in the series so far. You want to talk about Troubled and Disturbed? I think the whole WWF is that a little bit right now. Uh, things are are chaotic. They don't know which way they're going, and uh, that's going to become really apparent over the next six months. And again, this is where Bret Hart is one of the greatest to me, because anything that's chaotic means to me put the belt on Bret Hart, because like this is a man that I think really doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. It could be the best of times or the worst of times. If you give him the belt and say you believe in him and go do the thing, he'll go do the thing. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about elements. Uh, if you have a storm, if you have a chaotic thing going on, what's going to happen to fire, air, water? It's going to fly all over the place. Yep. It's going to be pushed around. Earth, Earth won't move, you know, so you've got that reliability extremely with Bret Hart. I think this is a guy who really was unshakable by a lot of this stuff going on. That's a good point. It's funny to me that my favorite Earth guy is then Nick Aldis has been champion of a tiny NWA. Bobby Roode was champion of secondary TNA and a yeah. secondary NXT. So it's kind of like you can just put something if you need to put something aside, like Vincent Mann's half distracted at this time. Like there's no easy answers at this time. So, you know, you go to security, you go to stability, you go to that foundation. And that's where I will argue that, you know, Bret Hart always deserves a look. Absolutely. The reliability of these earth element folks, even folks we don't like, like Triple H, like you yep. said, he owned the company for like 20 years and yep. wasn't even very good. So, you know, yep. that's the reliability factor of that earth element it really does make a difference i was thinking the other day and then we will we will finally some 40 minutes in get into (laughs) the card but like triple h at best to me like if if your top tier guys are like austin hogan and you can put like wrestler wrestlers up there too but then you got another main event level beneath that then to me at best triple h was a notch below the notch below Mm. You know, and yet, like you said, he he dominated like a couple of decades in in many different ways. So, like we were just talking about maybe the limitations of the Earth element, but there are other places where they are going to beat people three times to one, whether they deserve it or not. So, every element comes with its strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> it does, and I would say I imagine at some point we may praise Triple H in this series down the line. So uh, I think we'll try to give him his due. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Just for my enjoyment, my taste as a fan, Triple H, I think, is going to be far from. And yet, you know, for better or worse, he is going to be that reliability factor. He is really going to own the company at times. So we will uh, we'll have to judge that as fairly as we can as we come across it. 
Yeah. I mean, no disrespect, you know. I just don't know who you put. Do you put him above Sean? Do you put him above Undertaker? Do you put him above Austin? Do you put him above Rock? You know, like, who do you honestly put him above? Ask me some harder ones. Those are not even a contest, I think. Okay, main event. Is he above Foley? Hell no. (laughs) But these are are main event guys from his era and the era that preceded it. So, And he's a main event guy that was like, not only that, but supposed to be the guy of an era. Is he above John Cena? Uh, I, I don't think so. He's not above John Cena. I'm not even a John Cena fan. Like, there's things about John Cena right now that I don't even like talking about John Cena. He's, he's not above John Cena. <laughs> so, like, that's what I mean, though. Like, that's why I say he's a notch below the notch below, because he's definitely not Hulk Hogan, and he's not Steve Austin, and he's not The Rock. Uh, he's not Shawn Michaels, he's not Undertaker, he's not even Foley. You know, so he can't be. Eventually, you got to have a, a, a tier that is... Either between the IC and the world, or the like, every there can't be seventeen <laughs> like layers of world main event stars, or nothing makes sense because every match would have to be the last match on every card ever. So I'm not I'm not knocking him at all, but like who who does he share a row with? Who are main event guys, legit main event guys, and and guys who like were, were the face of an era? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out as we get closer. But fortunately, we're still far away from Triple H, so let's yeah. let's enjoy that distance for now. Okay, we're gonna get the furthest thing away from uh, these guys. We're gonna get to a tag match. It's the pay per view de- debut of the Head Shrinkers, but they're taking on High Energy. And this, um, I'll say overall, <laughs> so this is a weird show. It's a mixed bag, but I think there's more that I enjoy that I don't. Even though this match, like like at least two others on this card, I think is really good at times and yet also felt like it could have been better. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to say about that exactly. But it is a very fun match, and uh, I had a good time with it overall. So I'm going to speak positively about it for the most part here. I'm glad you said that because it's definitely one where I mentioned it could have been better, but it's also one that I enjoyed. It's also difficult because there's two different conversations between were there matches that you liked on a card or would you be a little scared if this was your money and your company at the time? (laughs) (laughs) I'd be very scared if I invested. I saw this show and I'd be like, uh, I'm uneasy. I'll just say that I'm uneasy. So another thing, though, seeing the head shrinkers in my mind tells me that the Steiner brothers are on the move. They are. They're going to be here, I think, uh, by by the time we do our next show. Um, so yeah, Steiners are very close here, and that's exciting. The tag division is getting a big shot in the arm. You gotta know how messed up between the steroid stuff, between the company, the fact that we're gonna move to like Lex Luger, Steiners, Jim Ross. Like this is so Southern, so NWA. You know, Vince McMahon's gonna fire Jim Ross 17 times before he lets him be the guy because like this is this is repellent. In a lot of ways, the Vince McMahon, but we were about to like give over the whole kingdom for like half a year. Like Jim Ross is an announcer. It's the Steiners, I think, that hoist up Lex Luger after the the SummerSlam fell. You know, like what company is this? Yeah, I mean, we've already seen uh, Ric Flair coming in and being a major player and stuff. So clearly, um, folks who maybe wouldn't have gotten the same opportunities before are getting those chances. And that uh, hey, that's 1992 moving into 1993. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to feel a lot different, too. It's not just a calendar change that's coming. 
oh, this is the biggest, I think, divide from one year to the next that we will ever see, mm-hmm. 1992 to 1993. Like, we are, we are going to be so out with the old and so in with the new almost overnight. We've had this whole transition, and I think still it's going to be a shock when we go from Survivor Series to the Royal Rumble. Yeah, and like I said, it blows my mind that the first Royal Rumble that leads to the match at WrestleMania comes at such an uncertain time. Yeah, no kidding. This is going to be the establishing uh, Rumble, but uh, it definitely will come at one of the weirdest times in company history. Meanwhile, we got Owen Hart, who is going to be, what, a main event guy in... Two years now, a year and no, a year and a half top. Year and a half, yep. And Owen, you know, you would not know that right now, not because of Owen's talent or lack there, but he is, again, just a guy in high energy. You know, mm. being overpowered by Samu, Samu at the beginning of the match, he's gonna, you know, seems like he's almost headed nowhere. Like I like high energy. I think they're an improvement on the new foundation, but they're yes. booked a lot like the new foundation. <laughs> Sadly so, but they are a great team. I think still one of the best teams in the company. But uh, as far as Owen Hart goes, I mean, if you're a fan like you and I, I think you'll watch this match and you will love the things he does. And you'll say, man, he looks like a star to me. But also if you step back, you're like, well, he and Coco probably could have just been fired like a year later. And like nobody would bat an eye within the company. Certainly not Vince McMahon. So he's in a weird place. And uh, I'm glad that he is going to survive that that turbulent time. Absolutely. My biggest uh, thing I learned from this match is that Owen Hart and Coco throw standing drop kicks like walking sideways in the air is as natural as taking a step forward. (laughs) They are a beautiful tag team together. And I think in a different time or place, they could have been overwhelmingly successful. It's not to be because they're kind of short. And Kogo Beware is, like, sort of a joke and just make fun of his pants. But, God, like, when they do their thing, they are so good. Like, I, I will always be out here uh, repping for high energy. Yeah, like I said, we, we both enjoyed this match that we said it could have been better. But, like, in an era where, like, I cringe every time we get to a tag match, high energy, the head shrinkers are a welcome sight to me. Yeah, fortunately, they put all the uh, cringy tag teams into one match later on, so... <laughs> What do you think of the head shrinkers here? Uh, I mean, as far as Fatu and Sumugo, I think they did a great job. I'm looking forward to more of their matches. I was, uh, and I knew this was coming, but uh, just to be reminded of that sight of Afa standing there, like, eating the chicken the whole match, that that's not something I was looking forward to. Right. I don't, like, I guess he's supposed to be more savage because he's eating a chicken, but it just seems like a gross, like, halfway to Bastion Booger thing, like, unsanitary, and yeah. just, uh, I was not a fan of that, and I knew I wouldn't be, so here we are. Yeah, it's best to prepare ourselves for the things that, and that's what I would do if I ever watched AEW, it's just, <laughs> you know, if I could find the people I like, then I would prepare myself for the things I don't. You know, it, fans do a lot of things sometimes to be fans, and I think, I don't know if we always get the, uh, the appreciation for that. <laughs> We put up with a lot of times, and uh, we just get critiqued by other fans who say, well, you should have shut up and enjoyed what I liked better, and that's not how it works, everybody. Sorry. So I will now tell you a wrestling move that reminded me of Christmas at this time. Oh. Only two people had done it that I had seen. One was WCW, and one was WWF, and that is the spin wheel kick. Owen Hart does it in WWF. 
and Jushin Liger does it in WCW, and that's how I was introduced to it. Beautiful move. Hey, in a couple of years, we're going to have Mabel in here doing that, too. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> that's exciting. It's so weird because I think – I don't know if Pillman beat Liger on Christmas night at Atlanta Zomni or the other way. No, Liger probably beat Pillman because Pillman beat Liger at Super Brawl. But whatever happened, I came to know Liger through Christmas night in Atlanta Zomni. So every time I've ever seen Liger, he reminds me of Christmas. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. He kind of looks festive, like you can he put does. him on top of a tree for sure. Man, I just wanted to bring it. I could almost cry talking about Liger. I think he is one of the most beautiful and wonderful talents that ever existed. And then Owen throwing that kick. It's like it's a nice thing too, because the match could be going slow, and that spin wheel is just as like you hit fast forward for a couple of seconds, changes up the pace. It has a lot of velocity, a lot of high impact. And like I said, when the first time you see something's done by Liger in one company and Owen in another, you can't go wrong. Oh God, I'm sorry. I I feel like maybe they wrestle each other. At some point prior to this, because I think Owen worked some in Japan. I may have to look for that at some point, because that, yeah. Liger and Owen, man, that's that's like a beautiful dream. It is. I would love to see that. I, I probably have seen it, and I think they would have to have wrestled. But, yeah, two amazing talents. Here is high energy, though, pretty much putting over the newcomers, um, the head shrinkers. So I like that we're putting on the head shrinkers. I don't like that our go-to to put them over in a company where most tag teams suck is high energy. Right, yeah. Of all the uh, lousy teams they could have beaten, here they have to beat high energy, but WWF is never going to care about high energy, so it is what it is. Headshringers retiring the Nasty Boys as a debut would have been a, a good way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, Nasty Boys, Natural Disasters, oh. uh, you know, I don't want to speak ill of Money, Inc., but they have already... What else? What do they have left to do? Just... Um, fight Hogan and Beefcake, basically, so that, you know, we don't need that, so here we are. Yeah, if we're not speaking ill of Money, Inc., I might have to throw away with some of my notes for later. <laughs> I mean, I'll speak ill of them. I didn't want to dampen uh, anybody's yeah. enjoyment of them, because on paper, always, they're tricky, if you want to talk about tricky, because on paper, they always seem appealing, and they rarely are in uh, execution. I think Ted DiBiase pre-diaper and post-diaper might be a way to divide his career. <laughs> <laughs> I know just what you mean. So this one they win. is that is it the rocket launcher or like what do they win win with? Um, I don't remember the move. It might be a rocket. I feel like everyone suddenly is doing the rocket launcher, so it could be that. It's a splash, but like the other guy stands in the corner. I don't know if he steps on his shoulders or he does nothing, or if he just stands there. But I think it's a splash with some other involvement. Yes, and a little bit of help from Afa as well and his chicken. So yeah. yeah. So there you go, folks. The head shrinkers are on the board. We will soon see them wrestle the Steiner brothers. So like we said, the times are changing, and it's changing almost immediately. I shouldn't ask this because I know uh, the answer, but um, I almost wondered where uh, Mr. Fuji was. I felt like that chicken could have used some mustard. So, oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Man, it just got... Ooh. Okay, yes. That's too real. That big bucket of mustard and the chicken and... Good times. Fuji has hair tonight, so that's also interesting. Yes, yes, that yeah. Fuji, Fuji entering his uh, I, I don't know. We'll see Fuji. I'll just say that. We're get we're about to get into the era where it has taken. It took me almost till WWF the Legacy Series to say anything positive about Fuji or Cornette. For some reason, not Yoko, but like 
because of what happens in with Luger, like I, I legit could not look at either of them for a long, long time. So I'm glad to be past that in order to do what what we have to come. <laughs> and we're almost there, and it'll all be drug up again. So uh, <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. So we go to the back. We got Sean Mooney on one of his last appearances. He'll be uh, splitting the work back here with Gene Okerlund. Uh, he's back here with Nels. Yep, and Nails is another one we almost managed to avoid, um, but I guess he's been here. I guess he beat up who Virgil at uh, SummerSlam, and now he's here again. He's going to talk with his weird voice and just talk forever. I don't know about you, but I felt like this promo seemed to last like an hour of just him and just like talking through a fan or something just that's a direct quote from the promo too yeah <laughs> it's just it's um ugh. i will say this you're so smart to bring up the fact that the main event had no storyline because nails now tells us that he was an innocent man and that like six of them were abusive to him and i don't know if he's telling the truth or lying because i know nothing about the storyline and I didn't know there were five others involved with the boss man. I don't know anything about this. And I really, uh, here's the thing that's happened in this, that if I had never done WWF, the legacy series, two things I've learned, all these like shocking things that happen, like, Oh my God, they went to Bret Hart with the world title. They went to the new generation. If you watch all this as an adult, none of that's surprising. Mm, So that's been something that is a complete reverse from what I thought. And then the other thing is, I think Bossman should have left the WWF. Yeah, about a year earlier, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I never would have thought that. We've always said, like, oh, we liked him in WCW, but you know, he never should have left the WWF. I don't. I don't. I, mean, I, I forget he's in the WWF. <laughs> I mean, I think most accurately, the WWF should have never stopped uh, pushing him. I yeah. don't know why they just suddenly lost interest and uh, kind of threw him in the bin. For a year before he actually left, but um, yeah, I, I, if he had left earlier, then I, I don't know. He, he did some work in Japan, I think, and of course he ended up in WCW, and who knows what that might have looked like if he came in earlier. But man, I love the guy. I don't know why he couldn't catch a break because he's about one of the best guys we've watched. I think this is the fine line between what I'll call Undertaker booking and Lex Luger booking, mm. because. Undertaker will have one of the most glorious careers, and a lot of his feuds are based on the fact that he is a he's a, he's a dead man. Yeah. You know, my, this is my least favorite of all Lex Luger's runs in the history of wrestling. My least favorite stretch is WWF, and it's because he has a tired, dead gimmick. Mm. And maybe it's because the Undertaker's dead gimmick is alive, and Luger's alive gimmick's dead. But like he has a dead gimmick, and all his feuds are tied to it and nothing else. Like Ludwig Borga for whatever reason, hates America, and then he's going to feud with Lex Luger. Um, Tatanka turns on Lex Luger and is somehow based on like country stuff. You know, all of these Yokozuna, as he can't have a feud without somehow like the flag and the patriotism being involved. And now, on paper, you would think, oh man, Bossman's got another Mountie feud, but like, there's no life to this to me, and if every feud is going like how many more prisoners are going to break out or how many other kinds of officers before you don't have anything else to do with them? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they kind of booked themselves uh, into a corner. I don't think that has to be true though. They, they chose this for some reason, yes. you know, they took one of their best 
this is what's nuts to me. You've got this guy. He's huge. He's enormous, but he's fast and he's good wrestler. Yeah. All these things, and he doesn't look like he's on steroids. He's got. Yeah. He should be everything you want right now, and they're just like, eh. Whatever, you know, he's a crappy guy who talks like he's talking through a fan, and he's like the worst wrestler you ever saw, so go climb a pole that's like 10 feet high, and then we'll fire you, and it'll be fine, you know, like, what is the point of all, what is the thought process? I don't understand it at all. Yeah, and that's my point, is that, like, one of the most brilliant things Mick Foley said in that letter, which we will, we will be bringing to our show in Luger around SummerSlam, is that, you didn't have to give this man a gimmick. He already was established. He doesn't have to be the narcissist or the all-American. Yeah. And Bossman doesn't have to be this thing all the time. You know, like they're about to tell me a storyline where Nels claims he's an innocent man who was abused by six officers, and then they're going to book this match where it's going to be Bossman, not Nels, who's going to climb up the uh, the the pole and take the stick and try to start beating Nels, and Nels is going to take it from him. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like, it's stupid all the way around. Like, it's dead, and it has no life or energy, and it's lazy. And part of me thinks that after they fired Ultimate Warrior and British Bulldog, they drew a line on a sheet of paper and said, everybody on this side is old and has to go, and everybody on this side is new, and we're going with them. I guess, yeah. I don't, it's something. And, I mean, if you brought in someone halfway good for this storyline, yeah. I think it could have been better as well. It's just sunk from the start, because Nails is really just one of the worst that you could have picked up, I think. And he will prove that again and again. Um, I don't know. It's baffling though, because like you said, big boss man can just be the big boss man. And he's done it for years. Like he just fused with people and he's like, you're misbehaving. So I'm going to punish you because I'm a police officer. Like they don't have to be in like a crazy costume. Like (laughs) I love the Mountie feud as much as anybody, but yeah, you don't have to like produce a whole new weird yeah. prisoner to like fight the boss man it's just not necessary they never seem to learn that lesson because these things don't work i think at least as often as they work yeah i mean it is far it, on paper it seems like a good idea and yet at times you will just needlessly complicate something and it's the worst when you go out and you're like well we have to hire a whole new guy mm-hmm. to be like you know it's like a perfect thing to take jacques and make him the Mountie, because he's already there, you already know he's good, he might as well have, like, this big gimmick, but then you're like, you have to go shopping for a guy like Nails, and Nails is who you come home with? Jesus, like, what the hell was that all about? Not every one of these moves can be as seamless as Jerry Lawler getting a foot in his mouth, so he goes he goes to visit his dentist, um, Isaac Yankum. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that that was the... I did not know that. Oh, well, sorry about that, but... <laughs> Yeah, prep, prep yourself. I yeah. shall. I'll do my best. I but this is the kind of stuff we're talking about, right? Oh, absolutely. And you're right. Like that is um, that's where we're going. You know, we're gonna come up with these uh, more and more characters who don't have a personality. They just have like a job or a role in society, and that that will like define them. And uh, it will not work. It will not be a successful era. Imagine having a company where the one consistent is. Everything is larger than life and unlike anything else. And then you decide to have a generation or an era where everybody has like a job that is as kind of tied to the lives that we're trying to escape from as you can get. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to watch that over the next few years because uh, we'll have many examples, I think. It just seems opposite of the WWF kind of ethic. Yeah. And I'll get to that when, I, when we get to Yoko again. But, like, everything in WWF, like, I'm starting to really see Vince McMahon's vision as I do this because I don't think he cares about how you're larger than life, like muscles, other things. It doesn't matter. But he just wants, when you come to the ring and take off your coat, like noises to be made in the crowd because of you're so larger than life. <laughs> You'd think, and yet again, they're just throwing boss man in the bin. And like, I feel like he could, he fits that perfectly. So what? Yeah. <sighs> it's so dumb. Cause we're coming up on this, like I have a job besides wrestler era. And you have like your best, one of the best ever, like I have a job instead of being a wrestler wrestlers here in the big boss man. And they just don't care. Like, I can't make it make sense. It's really making me second guess uh, Bruce Pritchard's claim that Bossman thought that being an officer in in an era where the steroid trial would would ruin his image, and that's why he left the company. I, I did not know that was the official story. That sounds like BS to me, to be <laughs> honest. So <laughs> that's what I think. Richard Pritchard said like. Oh, he thought that, you know, oh, it's a steroid scandal and Vince might go to jail and my officer is a law abiding like officer and he's yeah, he's and he just didn't want to be part of it. If but, that's true, then he is twice as dumb as I would have wanted him to be. Yeah. But I feel I like I'm it's not true because he's just gonna come and like be a police officer anyway, even when he's not supposed to be <laughs> in WCW and that's only a year away, so that doesn't make any sense to me. I yeah, I'm with you. I also wonder if this is the day that Vince Russo was watching wrestling and thought, I'm, I I can do this for a living. <laughs> he saw that poll and he yeah. knew like all his dreams had been answered. So <laughs> if that's also true, then this is the worst match of all time. <laughs> it's good to see boss man. Like he's it's the same boss man. That's the, that's the positive from this. Yeah, I will say for all that we've talked badly about it and it deserves, like, it's a good Boffman performance, like, yeah. as far as it can be. Uh, the match is not as bad as you would think just because he is out there putting in such great effort. I love how this starts, like, you rarely see this, because Boffman is talking to Gene Okerlund, but while he's doing this, Nails is, like, in the yeah. ring, and he's got to, like, get the nightstick, and Boffman has to, like, charge out after him, so, like... For as many barriers as it had, I think Bossman probably made it as good as he could, so I got to give him credit for that. Yeah, it also shows that Bossman can still explode and run just as easily as ever, which we know because, thank God, he's going to leave the company so he can have some matches with Vader in the WCW. Ah, oh, some beautiful, beautiful matches, absolutely. I have noticed when things are not going well to my taste, whether it's just happenstance or not, Bobby Heenan will, will always say a short statement that has nothing to do with the match being bad, but it'll be enough for me. Like this one, he's like, it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Heenan out there to tell you the truth when nobody else will, for sure. <laughs> like I said, though, am I the only one that feels like it's weird that the boss, I guess because the biggest pops come, of course, when they approach the pole, which is the whole point of the stupid match, mm-hmm. you know, but... For Bossman is going to be the one that's going to rescue the stick and then just start trying to beat the guy who claims that he's already been beaten unfairly by this guy. And then the heel is going to take the stick from him and use it, and then Bossman will hit his finisher and get the win. Like, there's something in that that seems either backward or weird or just a little strange to me. I don't know. Pole matches stink uh, yes. because it's always the same. 
if it's a weapon, they'll get the weapon and they'll both use the weapon. And, um, you know, if it's something else, then it's worse because, you know, the poll is just so freaking awkward. I don't know. We just saw, I'm not saying that this should have been a ladder match, but we just saw a ladder match. So they know about the concept of ladders and a ladder is better than a pole, I think. So, you know, it really shouldn't have had this dumb stipulation at all. But if you have to hang something up, why the pole? And this pole is, like, so tall. And yeah. neither of these guys is, like, they should, probably shouldn't be climbing up on the top rope anyway. So it's, like, dangerous for everybody. I don't know. I hate pole matches. I do, too. I don't even know them because I guess I don't watch them. But partly I thought when Bossman got them, and like, when he rescued it, the match might be over. Then when they used it, I thought the match was over. But then it turns out you just, like, hit your finisher and it really has nothing to do. It's just, like, that's a chore that has to be accomplished before you do your finisher and win the match. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's dumb. Yeah. Not a fan of it. I'm sorry if you enjoyed it, but definitely want to hear your opinions because Bossman is back and maybe we could have took it in a different way, but my God, I'm just sad. For, but Diesel's not better than the big boss man. And why is big boss man a jobber? That's, or not even a jobber because he's winning, I guess. But, but why is he on the decline and leaving the company? And Diesel's going to be that like, oh, he's a big guy who kind of has muscle, you know? <laughs> I don't know, maybe that was the difference, his boss man was always uh, rotund, but uh, yeah. that's no barrier at times, and at times it's the worst crime of all time, so I have no idea what the logic is there. I just now want a year-long title reign from boss man instead of Diesel. God, I would love it. Oh my God, he would have killed it. He drew with Hulk Hogan better than Diesel could ever dream of, so... Uh, well, oh my God, I'm too, I just, I just thought about... Like the worst thing in the history of wrestling when I was a kid was watching Diesel, who wears all black, the million dollar corporation. Everything looked black and white and dull and dead. But that would mean that Bossman would be rekindling a feud with Ted DiBiase, which was very, very good. So yeah, yeah. it might be a whole different dynamic. Oh, completely. It just would have been better in every way. I mean, uh, yeah, Big Boss Man over Kevin Nash, just about every way I could think of. I'll even put promos in there because I love Big Boss Man promos. <laughs> Yeah, my goodness. So Bossman would be, I guess, Shawn Michaels' bodyguard for a little while, and then uh, <laughs> off he goes to the races to become the world champion. Can I'll you imagine, like, Shawn Michaels versus Big Bossman? Yes. Like, think about that, you know, in a proper setting. I think they would have killed it in there. My yeah, God. Yeah, Bret Hart and Big Bossman. Absolutely. Know. Oh, so good. <sighs> oh, man. Ah. Lord have mercy. So Bossman should have been the world champion is what we learned on this episode. Absolutely. I've been saying that for a while, so I'm all yeah, about it. Yeah. You have. I think I said it too, but I don't know what I said, but I, now I remember him standing by a curtain giving a promo and being super pissed off, and it was just like magic all the way through. Oh, yeah. So good. You forget these. Like, I, we are doing a weekly. We've had a few times that we had to take time off, but we're doing a weekly legacy series. And I have forgotten that he's done anything that he's done because, like, how they're presenting him now. Sure, yeah. I mean, what, he was not at SummerSlam, I think. And uh, at WrestleMania, he was in that weird, like, eight-man, which should have oh. happened. And before that, I don't even know. He's probably in the Rumble. And he probably did a good job, but he was just, like, he was not the story there. So, yeah, like, the last time they had him in a storyline, which was anything was probably 1991 uh, with the Mountie at SummerSlam. So they just like forgot about this guy. Yeah. I have no idea why. That's a year and a half. And that's also remembering that he's in the eight man is, I think it's almost like 
oh, he kind of looks like the body type of a nasty boy meets a natural disaster. Like, put him in there. Ugh. Like, he's not he's not in the nasty boys and he's not the natural disasters. He is better than all four at their best. Absolutely. Together. Mm-hmm. Oh, dear. Okay, so we're going to get past that, but, you know, feel free to leave us more comments about Big Boss Man's year-long title reign from 94 to 95. <laughs> So he's Do gonna it. beat Bob Backlund in eight seconds, so I can live with it. I don't I hate that booking, but I can live with it. I was Bossman versus Bob Backlund, like in yes. a real match. That would be killer too. Like so many opportunities on the table. How do we get Bob Backlund to run at him though for him to hit his finisher in eight seconds? It doesn't feel like something Backlund would do. <laughs> that's I the do only not that know. to me that's the only complication of this whole scenario. <laughs> I don't if it, hey, if Kevin Nash could make it work, the big boss man could definitely make it work, so don't yes. worry about it. Maybe he goes for one of those straight punches and Bob Backlund ducks it and gets a little cocky and runs at him and boom, hits his finisher and go home. <laughs> or how about we don't make the match eight seconds? How about yeah. we make it actually good? You know, that could be that. I'm 100% for that. <laughs> Just trying to show the world that he could do exactly what Diesel did and do every single, every bit of it better. Agreed. They talk about Diesel lost some of his steam because, like, oh, in that area you got to wear the Santa hat, you got to be like wearing the sweater, and I agree with that. And but at the same time, Bossman even would have done that better. Yeah, I think he could have pulled it off. So, all right, folks, there's a there's your scenario for the week. <laughs> uh, Gene Arkelin is in the back with Razor Ramon and Ric Flair, who are kind of matching it up for this one. I gotta say, they seem thick as thieves for. For yes. apparently not uh, enjoying each other backstage, so they 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 were very professional about it. As folks, who, I I wrote the first thing is it's people that get the business and like no matter what they feel one way or the other, like they know they're both invested and they know what matters and how to how to tell a story and it's it's lovely to see. And here, you know, we've been iffy on this era at times, but I'll say this: five six years later, they probably would have been told like to go and shoot on each other in the middle of this promo. So just Ooh. like. Let's be grateful for the professionalism of this time and place, because I think it's much better to do it this way. Yeah, one of my favorite things about finding out people had grudges like this is not knowing it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's called being a professional. Absolutely. Okay, so um, this is our last, I think, kind of probably maybe razor flare stuff. So I. In a way, they complement each other, I think, and in a way, they don't because, like, Flair is going to be unhinged during a lot of this, and Razor's still going to be Razor, so I don't know. I don't know why Flair was – to me, he's a little – he's talking first in kind of that Sid delivery where he was whispering and then screaming, and I don't know. I, I, I want to see a third gear from him because so far, we have rightly seen, like, oh, he's world champion. He's on top of the world. He loses the belt. He loses his mind. Now it seems like he's just settling into a my I've lost my mind mm. and I'm very very angry. Well, my least favorite Ric Flair is the Ric Flair of uh, what 1994 after Hogan comes in, where every promo is just like a screaming Muppet head, yeah. basically. So he's not fully there, but uh, he's a little a little too close to there compared to uh, kind of his good best promo times. <laughs> yeah, because like they're so cocky. When when perf- on prime time that they almost kind of nudge perfect to try this. Right. So I kind of would like to see, especially before the match, more of that where it's just like, you know, like perfect making a fool out of himself. Like my my, my advisor is gonna wrestle a match against me. 
but not necessarily like that. It's already a little unhinged the whole night as if, you know, they've already lost the battle because they've lost Perfect here, which we know Perfect is super duper valuable. We learned at SummerSlam as a manager, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Mr. Perfect as like the killer difference maker. It's still a bit odd. It doesn't quite match up with what we've seen over the past, uh, you know, year and change. But uh, even so, um, I enjoy this feud. We've seen kind of the the best of it already. We've got this match coming up. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about the match. It's um, in the theme of the night in that it has a lot of really good stuff in it. And yet you still always would think it would be better. So we'll we'll talk about that again as we go forward, but, uh, it's a good feud. I mean, look at who's involved. These four people, five of you count Heenan and, uh, the talent is certainly overwhelming. Yeah. yeah Razor calls Savage a one legged punk. He says that they're going to carve you up, which I forgot. That was one of uh, Razor's mottos in his WWF run. <laughs> I think in this early Razor Ramon thing, like he's going to kill somebody. Like he's being pretty clear. He's like killed people before and he'll probably like knife you. <laughs> And they'll stick his nose into that pile of cocaine. So yeah. you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you almost need him to for the way he's talking, just to kind of establish that this is not like the the most untruthful man on the planet. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'll say this: they're also obsessed with the oozing machismo yeah. at this point, and it's always oozing. It's never coming out another way. So yeah. take that for what you will. Absolutely. So Flair is angry. Uh, Razor is kind of cool but they still got a little time to get themselves right because we are going to a return match from WrestleMania. It is Rick Martel versus Tatanka. Ah, the match. So something that we had to do it again. This is, look at this. We talked about WrestleMania and you had Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart and Undertaker all going over big. Um, and then Tatanka also like beat a guy from the past. But he, all three of those other guys have, like, moved forward. And here's Tatanka. He's just going to do it again, I guess. Just in case you didn't understand it the first time. What a pointless rematch this is. Yeah. I said, I asked if this is a rematch or did they forget that the original occurred. And I don't know the answer to that. I do not know. This time, <laughs> it's funny. They actually tried to do a feud for this more than they did for the main event. And yet, um, it's still terrible and stupid. Here... Here is a, a bad sign of things to come because now they are feuding over a feather and yep. uh, whoever's going to come up with this stupid, this stupid kind of storyline. It's a lot the last time we'll see it, but here is maybe the earliest example. Yeah, this is a forerunner to Bret Hart versus the Pirate, <laughs> which imagine Bret Hart even said himself like he, he has no idea why his character was mad in that angle, but he just had to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the stealing of the inconsequential possession will become uh, a little too popular as a, uh, a, a trope here. So, and again, if they got a feud now versus they didn't last time, you wouldn't know it from the match because they pretty much just wrestled the same kind of match. Exactly the same match. And man, if Rick Martel can't make you look good, Man, must you stink. I will be a very anti-Tatanka person on this podcast over the next few years, unless he does something to really wow me in 1994, and I'm not holding my breath for that. But all I've seen of Tatanka makes me think he's one of the most dull, like, pointless guys that WWF could find to push in this era. I'm just trying to make sense of the fact that the, the, the idea is nobody ever did more 
for someone than WWF did for Lex Luger, and yet probably his top two or three feuds, one of them is going to be Tatanka. Ugh. So. Don't even, yeah, no. Best thing in this match is uh, Doink the Clown appears, and uh, as we might call him, Big Josh the Clown, he will show up and he will start um, doing some of his antics. So I look so about him. Uh, for his heel run, and then we're going to have some very painful uh, face stuff, which has nothing to do with Matt Bourne. Yeah, this is so organic and nice. Like they say a few weeks ago, the clown, this clown doesn't have a name at this time, just started following the WWF. And like, can you imagine like, if you got fired from a circus and for whatever reason felt like you couldn't find another job at a circus, it might would make sense to just start following the WWF around. <laughs> Well, you could look at it that way, or if it were me, I would be calling, like, priests and exorcists and, uh, you know, just like if a clown, a mysterious evil clown is following your company around, to my mind, like, alarm bells start ringing because, yes. like, someone's going to die. So that's how I see it. Basically, man would be amused by it, even if that were the truth. So. <laughs> I think he'd like it even more. So that's a good point. Doink does a good job of distracting us from the match, which is a fairly long match. Uh, he's out there making balloons and then pretending to give them to fans. After the match, he will approach a group of young girls and, like, fake give them a balloon and one of them takes a swing at him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're savvy. I like that. That's great. Here's a terrible so, question. Which match was worse, this match or the, the, the pole match? Um... To me, sitting through them, this match might be worse because I've already seen it before. The pole match is more offensive because of the kind of match, the feud, and what they're doing to Bossman. But this is just, you've seen it. If you watch WrestleMania, you've seen this match, except Doink is at ringside. And so, you yeah, know, like even I, this match, it's like, look what they're doing to Martel, you know? Yeah. So, I agree. This match is actually worse yeah. than the pole match with nails in it. And that ought not to be possible. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And it should, this should, I. Man, I don't know what it is fully because, like you said, Martel's able to make people look good, but it's just, it's a very low energy. There's a lot of laying on the mat, you know, there's a lot of wasting time. And, like, I think it only hit me when I was calling this is, again, if this is a feud now and it wasn't then, like, wouldn't the match occur differently? (laughs) I don't know if any Tatanka match will ever occur differently, to be honest. What a, I don't know, I... I don't want to go too in hard against Tatanka here more than I already have, but man, just like what a limited performer he seems to be. You know, he's another one who practically could have just been Ultimate Warrior, except he didn't even run to the ring. Yeah. You know, I guess he's a little better because he's not in there just like injuring people and being a, a moron, but just like if you want to talk about the same thing every time, man, I think Tatanka is like one of your main contenders for that. I cannot argue with that. I think my favorite part was they wrestle on the floor, and so there's a shot of them wrestling on the floor. In the background, you can see Doink, the back of Doink's coat. So, like, he's not even really supposed to be in the shot so much, but, like, they're just reminded, oh, there's a clown out there still doing whatever he's doing while all this is going on. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, no. I'm looking forward to uh, to the Doink stuff that we're going to cover. There should be some interesting stuff there. Yep. And then, again, the laziness of storytelling we're reminded, I guess, by the announcers that the feather thing happened and that's very important. But then they just wrestle a match until Tatanka wins and then he goes and picks up the feather. You know, so there's still there's no bad blood. There's no brawling. There's no trying to get the feather. It's just a thing that they dropped on top of the whole uh, rematch. 
Indeed. And I will say, I don't know how you make that storyline work anyway. Like, you're really going to get hot about a feather. Like, it's fine, you know. <laughs> Just, and why I'll get Rick another Martell feather. What made Rick Martell choose to do it either, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I have a vague memory of him, like, wearing the feather in, like, weird, ah. like, weird ways. But they don't reference that or show it, so I don't even know if I imagine that or what. So, I don't know. It's just dumb. It's kind of like Warrior 2, though, that you got to make a choice with Tatanka. Either he's connected kind of to this higher power of holy symbolism and empowers him, or he's a wrestler with a little bit of a gimmick about that. And most of his career will be he's a wrestler with a little bit of gimmick. But, like, <laughs> they start off almost the same as Ultimate Warrior, that there's like he's got some kind of power and there's all this, like other things but i don't think they ever really settled on what's going on with this guy i i feel like they just accidentally pushed him like they just forgot to give him any losses so he will have this undefeated streak but it will almost be like oops like did we do that (laughs) so (laughs) every undefeated streak is not created equal oh god no for sure so okay that's that one i do look forward to seeing the doink footage early as well yes uh, Sean Mooney is with Savage and Henning, who still don't like each other, but by God, they've got themselves a mission. They do. They do. They are fired up backstage. Mr. Perfect says this must be killing Ric Flair. He makes fun of the idea that he walked in the shadow of Flair. Actually, Flair just wants to be like Mr. Perfect, but there's only one Mr. Perfect. He says Heenan kept him on the back burner so that he would not beat Ric Flair. Yeah. Savage says, you're right. Henning says, I know I'm right. Um, <laughs> they say, Savage says, nobody knows more about surviving 10 days ago. I didn't have a tag partner, um, but he'll do anything to survive. I don't like you and you don't, tr- and I don't trust you, Savage says. So they're going to the ring, I guess, with a little mystery, but again, lazy storytelling because yeah. does he trust him? Does he not? Are they on the same page? You know, if you're going to go with what's about to happen and that last little statement, you got to have Bobby Heenan not freaking out the whole time because there's got to be some confidence or some reason because I am torn by the fact that I think Perfect would betray Savage because I don't see him as a babyface, but every other marker tells me that this is Perfect's babyface coming out night. Mm, so. Yeah. We're going to get to something weird, at least to me, in the match later. But right now we're going to the ring. It's Razor Ramon and Ric Flair taking on Randy Savage and Mr. Perfect. And uh, like I referred to earlier, this match is interesting, um, like others in the night, where I think there are great things about this match. But you look at these four and you know this could have been an all-timer and it just doesn't reach that level for whatever reason. Like you said, maybe some of the folks are looking old. Uh, maybe they're a little too far out the door. Maybe they're not playing to their greatest strength or something. I don't know. Like, there is a lot of great stuff in this match. I can't say too many bad things about it. But for what it could have been, could have been more. Yeah, I agree. I think the best parts are with the fan reaction and the yes. beginning and end. To me, this is a this is a making of Mr. Perfect as a babyface star. Absolutely, and he's going to have some very good showings in 93. Unfortunately, he won't last beyond that. Um, He'll be gone again and uh, not wrestling anywhere, so I don't know if it's injury, acting up again, or if it's the weird thing with, like, his insurance policy that he had, like, weird problems with. I don't know. Something strange going on, but um, 
but yeah, uh, a good night for Mr. Perfect, I think. Yeah. Perfect and Razor love each other. Perfect's a mentor to Razor. And so they start out together. They play a very fun cat and mouse game where Razor keeps getting embarrassed as he tries to get at Mr. Perfect and fails. Here's the thing, like, I don't know, and this may be, I don't know if this is the lazy creative you're talking about or what, but, like, to me, if I was booking this, I'm like, man, I gotta take Razor versus Perfect to WrestleMania, yet by WrestleMania, Perfect will be with Luger, and Razor will be with Backland, I think, so, like, I don't even know what is going on in the next few months. Razor hated wrestling Bob Backlund, too. They were a horrible match together, and so <laughs> I agree with you. Like, why would you not? Like, that is the way to go. They love each other, they respect each other, and they just look good in the ring together. Yeah, I mean, they will never, I think, match up one-on-one, at least not anywhere around this era uh, that we will see. So what a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Man, that is that, – these are the problems. Uh, you've done a great job in this edition uh, putting a lot of this on creative and storytelling because a lot of simply could be a lot better and it's not because they don't follow through and they do things that don't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird he, because like one day it seems like creative will be doing well and on another day, maybe even like on the same night in the next match, they'll be doing badly. So it's just a weird time. I don't think anybody wants to wrestle the Bob Backlund of that era because he's post-world champion, but it looks like he's never going to be anything again. Um, but Luger just knocked out Bret Hart at the brunch, so even Luger knocking out Bob Backlund and disrespecting him would have made more sense with where Luger was, where he was kind of having these shorter wins, and you know, then you got Perfect and Razor, which will be a great match, which Luger and Perfect was not, so, you know, I think even that, you could always go a different route with Luger, but even that makes more sense, just flipping those matches than doing what they did. I think it makes a lot more sense, and I'll say up front, Looking ahead, I suspect I will have nicer things to say both about Luger versus Perfect and about Bob Backlund in general than maybe some others will. But even so, even with that in mind, it makes so much more sense to flip them around in their opponents. Yeah, I don't know why I think, but Babyface Bob was not connecting with the crowd. That's partly what led to the great heel run that he had. Absolutely. Like, you can't argue that. Like, personally, I'm a Bob Backlund fan. I will have nice things to say about him. But, yeah, if you look at the crowd reaction, you know it's not doing anything. So, you know, it is what it is. Yep. I'm a Bob Backlund fan as well. And another thing about old Kevin Nash, like, he he probably had some of his best work in TNA. Bob Backlund also had a good run in TNA. So, you know. I just wonder why people use Backlund more. I think probably he rubs people the wrong way backstage or something. He's kind of a weird guy, I think. But, man, like, uh, every time he shows up, like, even as an old guy, he's, like, entertaining, I think. So I'm all in with Bob Backlund. He's very dynamic. He's very alive. I think he takes care of himself, and he enjoys doing the things that he does. So. I love, yeah, he came out on Raw some years back, God, probably like 10 years ago or something. But, yeah, he looked damn good, as good as anybody, practically. And uh, you always hear, like, he's a guy who'll sit and, like, read the dictionary in the back of the bus and stuff. That's probably, like, offensive to some wrestlers <laughs> who think you ought not to be that way. But, man, I don't know. Something about that is appealing to me. Man, that's that's so cool. So, <laughs> again, it's not about age. It's about a lot of things because yep. Bob Backlund can get it done. Uh, so we are... In this match, we're perfect. He's kind of getting the best of Razor Ramon and Ric Flair at the beginning. So, like I said, and the crowd's going to be the hottest in this match for Mr. Perfect, I think, of everybody. So it really is a coming out for Perfect. And 
Flair's going to do all he can because this is just the beginning of Ric Flair putting over Mr. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say they didn't do as much as they could with this idea that Mr. Perfect can't be trusted, but they did. I'm glad they mentioned it, and I'm glad they did at least something to tease it because I think at one point in this match, he's like almost looks like he's just going to walk out and say, like, forget about it. So they did some things to tease it. I appreciate that. Could have been a lot more, but, uh, you know, I think it, it adds to the overall scene in the end. Uh, maybe I'm overthinking it. It was just hard for me to process what the hell he was doing when all of a sudden he decided to walk out and then walk back. And I didn't quite, all I wrote down, at least Sid had the, the uh, intestinal fortitude to commit to his walkout. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, viewers will have to choose for themselves. I took it as a positive because Mr. Perfect, we've always seen him since he came in. He's been a heel. He's been the type to walk out of a match. Now he's in a new scenario where maybe his instinct is to walk out. But, uh, you know, it means something different to him in this match than it has before. So definitely could have been better executed. Um, maybe I, as a fan, kind of did some of the work for them in my own mind, which is not uh, unusual, I think. If you're invested in something, you'll kind of bridge that gap on your own. But really, they should have done it for you, I think. Yeah, I like the way you put it. And so what they should have done then is give Bobby Heenan the direction of just because he betrayed us doesn't mean you can trust him. Not that, you know, we're all working together and we're going to betray you. Like, we're done with him and he betrayed us. But when the world makes you think that you can trust him then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just right there. What a great way to go about it that is better than what they did. So definitely creative. Uh, asleep at the switch for some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, Perfect comes in, breaks the count immediately after he decides to walk away and doesn't. And Bobby Hinn says, get out of the ring, you low life." <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I can't criticize Bobby Heenan because he is in uh, top form, um, like having coronaries every time Mr. Perfect is praised or does something good or anything. He is um, definitely up in arms against Mr. Perfect here. Yeah. Uh, we gave Savage this credit throughout the Legacy series of being from other places and having this energy and just running for eternity. And I like the way that felt, but maybe that's the equivalent of Jim Ross saying that Mick Foley's a monster and he can't feel pain because now I'm wondering if Savage used all his energy from 87 till WrestleMania 92 and then he just needed to lay on a mat for a year and, like, you know, recover. <laughs> when when Savage leaves, we're going to have to talk about whether we came up with a space element in, in part for Randy Savage. And I think at some point we're going to talk about was he really that element or is that – I don't know. We're just going to have to talk about yes. it, I think. It's a weird match. This is the second match in a row that – Security is coming to the front row to take signs from somebody in the front row. So. Oh wow! I didn't even notice that. I wonder what they definitely tried not to let you notice it because I can never see what signs they're taking. But twice the Tatanka match and this, the security comes up to the same group. And I think this time, they at least they take a sign. I don't know if they did the first time or not. It's <laughs> interesting. Uh, which, what, what match on this show was your favorite? Would you say? Yoko Zunas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know what? I get that. I get that. Um, fair enough. Because like every match, and this is a, this is like I would watch this match again, but every match is plagued by something bad happens at least for a while, and it could have been better. Yeah, if your criteria is just which match kind of uh, 
exceeded its own expectations. Yeah. I think, yeah, you would have to go with the match that you just said. I will talk about it. that one's very special to me. Going through the legacy, like with our legacy series hat series hats on, that one's very important to me. Agreed. I think uh, it'll be fun to talk about that in a minute. Um, I'll say for myself, just judging by uh, which match I enjoyed the best as a, a wrestling match and not exactly a means to an end, I would still go with this one. I think over the main event, although yes. I don't know if everyone would agree, but it sounds like you will. I agree, a hundred percent. All right. Uh, All right. You got to count. I am not. I'm never gonna be someone who rates matches just on the purity of the match. And sure, to me, sure. it was not Brett and Sean's fault necessarily. But when you have a crowd reaction like that and you wrestled the way they wrestled, like you can't have a flat main event, especially when you're first coming up, and it and it be esteemed highly. It just can't. Like, I can't do that. Right, yeah, no, I agree. I think anyone who doesn't um, factor in crowd reaction is maybe a little too pure for me, and I'll put pure in quotes there, but, uh, I mean, God knows it's not the only factor, but there's just something about, like, if the crowd is hot, you will feel more hot, you'll feel more excited, and if they're not, then uh, it's not going to be as easy to uh, muster up your own enthusiasm. Yeah, especially in uh, pre pre-internet uh, days which we are we are barely you know, we're soon we're going to cross that line in about four or five years but you know fans are fairly like they, they weren't very defiant so like you know they, they did what they were supposed to do so they were also they were kind of on the side of the booking you know so yeah. if it doesn't come out the way it's supposed to and i do think that that i think i noted a lot in the main event that this feels like an ic title matchup and not in a way that disrespects the ic title but man it's like headlocks and rustling for the majority of it to the point that i think the fans are already dead but i can see them also not doing anything to recover the fans right yeah i think uh it can be important to change the style that you're wrestling if it's not working and um, we're not really going to see that happen in the main event yeah, the fans were hot for this. Like I said, Savage lays on the mat the whole time. So, you know, most of the big cheers are for Perfect, who is both uh, he's hot in the beginning and he's the hot tag later. And what we need in this era is to get other people over. So, like, I, I see this as a, besides uh, the very stupid ending that we're about to get to, I see this as a very successful match in, in accomplishing a goal. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree. Um, a lot of great stuff in here, as I said. So uh, if you haven't seen this match, I do still recommend it. Razor's Edge attempt towards the end. There's a ref bump. Joey Morello is going to count two, but he's going to be late. Um, there's a perfect flex, but again, a ref issues. And then you just kind of got a disqualification. Yeah, yeah. I hate when it's just a schmoz where it's thrown out and uh, you don't even know exactly why. But, um, oh, well, what can you do? I like that Joey Morello shout out. They don't, they don't. Uh, say the names of refs uh, like they used to, but uh, Joey Morello will always get a pop from me. Yeah, I think 94 is the year, so I'm trying to get some Joey Morello mentions in when I can. Uh, I can't even. I gotta put that to one side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see, Savage, uh, he makes it back to the ring, he knocks out Razor Ramon, he kind of hands a chair over to Mr. Perfect, he clears the ring. Uh, it's a lousy ending, but uh, I think a lot of great stuff in this match, so it's still something to see. And then after the match, I feel like still they were like kind of subtly teasing a little bit that Mr. Perfect might still turn on Savage, but uh, we don't see that. But hell, even that, like, you know, Savage will be doing nothing at WrestleMania, which is stupid. He'll be doing commentary, which he's not even very good at. So, 
uh, why not? You could have done Perfect versus Savage as well, you know, so that so many options on the table, and yet we're still going to get the WrestleMania that we're going to get. This is also, though, even though I don't know when we start using New Generation, we're starting to see, I think, soon coming the difference between this organic, okay, <clears throat> we're going with Flair, but like it's not really lasting that long. We're going to Savage, but it's kind of transitional. We're going with Warrior, but we can't trust him. We're going with Brett because we need, like, all that is more organic. I think we're starting to hit some hard line where it's just like, Savage has to be in the booth. Why? Because like he's on the he's on the left side of the paper. Remember we made that list. He's on the left side. So <laughs> what a stupid I agree paper. With you, though. Say that. That's a good match. Savage versus anybody is going to be better than Savage in the booth. Absolutely. Okay, so that's a big one. Uh, I think at the end Savage holds the rope for perfect, and perfect ends up holding the rope for Savage, which is a kind of nice turn from his attitude throughout the night. So. Indeed, and uh, without Miss Elizabeth there, someone's got to hold those ropes, so, you know. <laughs> Ooh, all right, shots fired. <laughs> At least they didn't pick him up on his shoulder, let's just say that. I feel like none of these guys, whether they're doing good or bad, are the same people from the Golden Era. It's weird, yeah, like you said, I don't know if it's the presentation or just, like, the guys themselves or what, but, uh, you know... Even with this match being good, like, none of these people really felt quite right, maybe, except maybe Razor, because he's, like, he's never been anything else. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's very odd. I got to shout out Razor, too, because there's a figure four going on, I think, maybe after the match or towards the end behind him, and he gets punched, and he does his big arm flailing fall, and then he trips over the figure four behind him and falls down. <laughs> he does a great job. In some ways, maybe, did he do the best in this match? I don't know. Maybe it's possible. Like, he... He was a strong contender, you know. He was up there with uh, with anybody, I think. Yes, I think Perfect's coming out party because it's obvious and it's about that. But Razor is almost establishing him, and so it kind of makes sense he wrestles for the belt at the Rumble because you see, hey, this is a guy I can trust. Like he he's relatively green comparatively, and we're putting him in main events, and he's right at home. So yeah, I mean, this is the first pay per view match we get from Razor Ramon. This is pay-per-view debut, and uh, what a big match to be in, and what a great job he does, so congratulations to him. Absolutely. He's going to be a world title match on the next pay-per-view, so yeah, he went right up there, and good. He should have. You know, they made the right choice, I think. I'm so excited. I I don't think I've ever seen that match, and Brett just usually works well. I think that's another reason the Shawn Michaels match didn't work, because like, Brett works better, I think, against people who are not like him. Like, British Bulldog, it might be his height, but British Bulldog's not like him. Right. Diesel's not like him. Razor's not like him. And I think Brett does. Plus, the, the longer guys, Bret Hart will almost stretch, like, into new parts of the body and work out. Like, here's a, between the ribs and the chest, there's actually another place. And, you know, Bret Hart <laughs> has found it. So. For sure. I'm looking forward to yeah, that one. I mean, where do you class guys like Owen or uh, Mr. Perfect? I think they're closer to Shawn Michaels, but he'll have better matches with them than he ever will with Shawn, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Perfect, I'll give you that one. Owen's almost like smaller, so that's almost going the other direction. Okay, I can see. Like that. Owen is is smaller, and he's an under. Like I think the biggest thing I and I love Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, but like. Whoever booked Owen Hart to win and to win like he did is just as responsible to me as the, as Owen and Brett. Okay, I, I get that. I can see that for sure. So. That blew my like when you look at it as an adult, you almost know like cause I knew Brett was winning the belt, so you need to set something up like he needs to have some kind of like uh, pebble in his shoe, so to speak. But uh, <laughs> Owen Hart beating Brett Hart, man, that's 
like at the time, like that's not supposed to happen, and it and it did. Yeah. But you're right. That's a good point. Perfect, definitely. But I don't know. Perfect. I think about it. Perfect also was more the Brett in that match than Brett. I think. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to say it. I'm just going to say float out. I don't think Brett and Sean ever had the kind of chemistry that maybe people want to say they have. I don't know. Like, I feel like they have a reputation for having all these, uh, for everything that happened. But you look at their matches, they have some really good matches, but they don't have, like, the classics that you would expect, considering the reputation they both have and the fact that they were on top at the same time. Yeah. You... I don't think they have a single really good match between them. Like, and I'm going to sound like a hypocrite because I'm going to argue for the probably the Iron Man match just because of the way people argue against it. But when we're talking about chemistry, like this main event that we're about to come to soon is one of, has some of the least. This could be a superstars match you know, if you really want to be, <laughs> be brutally honest about it. Oh, for the heat it has, certainly. Um, I will speak in favor also of the Iron Man match when we get there. I think uh, despite maybe some flaws, there's some really fantastic stuff in there. It's probably their best. But even that, you know, like, it's not going to be either guy's best match. It's not even really in the conversation, I don't think, except uh, maybe for a few people if you really feel that way. But mostly, yeah, I think uh, these guys will never, ever have their best matches against each other by any stretch of the imagination. And a match could be good and people not have chemistry if they're if they're very good, but yeah, it's almost like part of the problem is I think this match kind of sucked because they liked each other, and the rest of the matches suck because they don't like each other. <laughs> you may go harder against these than I do. I don't know if I'd say any of these uh, Brett Sean matches suck. I think yeah. uh, there's a lot of great stuff you can find in them, but again, it's just not living up to what you would think yeah. based on who's involved. I agree because, like I said, I'm gonna probably say a lot of. Uh, good things about the Iron Man. The Iron Man match, this is one of the most complicated times in my life because Shawn Michaels was my first favorite WWF wrestler, and that lasted from 92 until the world title push. <laughs> and I stopped liking him from that till somewhere in his title ran, then started back liking him again. So, uh, But yeah, when I say sucked, I mean comparatively to yes. what, you know, in theory, <laughs> these two, every match that they ever had should have been like top contenders for the best match ever, you know? Absolutely. And, I mean, these guys are strong, like, top ten ever WWF wrestlers, contenders. Um, so you, you'd think that they would just be churning out classics, but it's just not to be. And they're so different in their styles. Like, it just seems that they'd be complimentary, but, you yeah. know, doesn't always happen. Uh, Gene Okerlund is with Ric Flair, who I, I do like Flair continually telling him to shut up, and that they, they know what happened out there, so they don't need to listen to him, like, re- retell it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if there's a time for for Flair to be uh, yelling and mad, it's here right after he lost, yes. before he regains his composure. So he's fired up. He said, perfect, is on the line of life and death. He says they're going to finish it. And Razor Ramon, uh, he says he was only double-crossed once before and implies pretty clearly, I think, that yes. he killed that person. So, like, you know, uh, watch out, I guess. That's not the first suggestion, so, like no, I said. No, not, not at all. <laughs> He needs to put up or shut up at this point, I think. <laughs> um, there's some good lines in here. Ric Flair says that uh, Mr. Perks walking that fine line between life and crippled for life. Oh, he yeah, says, yeah, yeah. You want to cross the tracks, then pay the price. So <laughs> they make it clear that the feud is not over, though one would never guess that like it is Ric Flair who is digging his own grave and ending his own career by continuing this feud with the advisor, Mr. Perfect. <laughs> 
Well, you might if you were savvy like us and you know that um, Vince McMahon basically has lost all interest in Ric Flair. So uh, I'll say this. Thank God Ric Flair uh, went back over because imagine if he had stuck around and he had fallen down and you're like, who knows? He's like losing to Virgil or someone in a few mm-hmm. months. So uh, I'd be a little afraid of what he'd be doing at WrestleMania and SummerSlam and on if he had stayed around here. No, Vince McMahon... Like, you actually respect Vincent Man for that move because Vincent Man told him, like, pretty much that's what you will be doing. And if, if you can go get, like, good money from WCW and they're willing to offer, then let's, I'll, I'll work with you to get that money. So at least he did that for him. Yep, you got that. I wouldn't trade over, uh, Flair versus Vader or, uh, you know, Hollywood Blondes feud and all that stuff for anything. Yes. So thank God he was given that option. Man, okay, so. Next up is Virgil versus Yokozuna, and the, this is the pay-per-view debut of Yokozuna, and Vince McMahon's first comment is, ooh, this is a little different. <laughs> <laughs> Sparking something in Vince McMahon. He's a big man who was fat, but he wanted to push him anyway. So, you know. so one thing I want to say about this uh, debut of Yokozuna is that, what is this, 92? So two years ago, we saw the pay-per-view debut of The Undertaker, and it was a very special moment, but the crowd reaction is very similar in this. There's no giant pop. There's no giant booze. There is just like chatter and reaction in pockets all across the arena as they gaze upon these two. Mm. So I'm starting to notice that as a very special debut, like I said, especially in a world where Vincent Man wants to, this, the, Vincent Man wants the reaction that you cannot control when you see one of these individuals. So, Undertaker has that gigantic debut. Yoko's going to have a big debut here. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the Undertaker won the world title at Survivor Series. He's going to have his first casket match. But next year at Survivor Series, Yokozuna and Undertaker are going to steal the show in the main event. And then the next year at Survivor Series, they're going to be in a casket match together. So there's a, there's a nice history between these friends, uh, Yokozuna and Undertaker when it comes to Survivor Series. Yeah, and I always forget they ran in that same uh, group together. Yep. They were indeed good friends. So uh, that's a cool thing. I love Yokozuna. I will say in defense of Vince McMahon, which I will not always do, but, man, there is something valuable in getting someone who can just appear and you can make people chatter, like, before they even do anything. You know, people who pop like that are rare, and sometimes Vince will pursue it too much. Uh, by the Royal Rumble, I think we'll see our first glimpse of Giant Gonzalez. But, uh, you know, sometimes it really works out, and Yokozuna is really going to pay off for at least a few years here. Yeah, and it's just, when you watch this, you watch him. Number one, to set up the presentation, like, they got all the, this affair, like, with Fuji, with the the hair. Fuji's, a, you know, he's been around whether he's the best manager of all time or not. He's, <laughs> he's somebody in the business. He's with Yoko. You got the whole geisha girls giving him flowers, and then he just kind of throws them aside and dismisses them. He's got a whole routine. He doesn't leave the corner, which is interesting. Like Virgil runs up, you know, on the apron behind him. He doesn't turn around. He doesn't leave the corner because he's got this kind of established way. And then when he takes that robe off, watch that moment. There is an audible reaction from the fans when he takes his robe off. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think they book him nicely too because there's a difference between saying, "Oh, he's a sumo wrestler," and then like him coming out and like planting his feet. And it feels like their feet are beneath the mat. Like, there's no way 
that Virgil is besting him. And like when they run up against each other, when they try to knock him off his feet, and that's going to be a thing even before the power slam, I think is can you knock him off his feet? Mm. And so like a big guy like this, like, he can be great for different reasons. Andre the Giant was so big and so high in the sky. But man, this guy's over 500 pounds. And not only can he wrestle, but he's planted in the mat. Like, how do you move a 500 pounder who knows how to like stand and plant himself? There is an aspect of Andre the Giant in Yokozuna that I think uh, very few people have. This is a guy who was not only enormous, but was so keyed in on how to be big in his aura as well as in his physical size. He just knows how to do that, and that is so valuable. And you see a lot of big guys, I think, who do not know how to do that. So I will speak very, very highly of Yokozuna at times over the next few years. Yeah, I will say he's very, I think, plugged in. The thing that blew my mind is watching his eyes when I was a kid because in my mind he couldn't speak English. So he'd be in promos and somebody would say something and like he would have a reaction in his face. And I'd be like, how did he know like to have a reaction? Because he doesn't understand the language, <laughs> you know, but like he I think he is very attentive. And I'm going to say a weird thing. You might not like it. And even part of me might not like it, but. Here's one way that I get the reason why Lex Luger flopped in WWF and Sid will be brought back 17 times and made world champion mm. is because in this idea that Vince McMahon kind of only looks at the like the physical and the crowd reaction. Like Luger, a lot of times, like to me, he would not be someone who connected. Like he wouldn't make eye contact with everybody. He just gets in and wrestles right. very, almost a very introverted style, whereas Sid is looking upon the crowd. Yokozuna is also someone who looks upon the crowd. I think Undertaker looks upon the crowd, like people that know. And so if you go to the kind of this one measurement, you start to understand why a lot that happens in the WWF happens. Yeah, I can understand it to a point, even though I kind of uh, made a noise when you said it because I don't like it. But, yeah, certainly Lex Luger, like, I can't stop thinking of him, like, in the ring, flexing, and, like, Hogan flexed in the ring, too, but something about the way Luger did it was, like, yes. very walled off, whereas Hogan, like, somehow he just put out this, like, I am flexing for you, like, we are all part of this, and Luger, like, he was never that somehow, so, I don't know, just, like, look at his 97 or look at his 88, if you don't think he can connect with the crowd, you're crazy, but certainly he did not do it in the same way as some others did, so I'll give you that, yeah, it's almost in spite of himself. Like what they're doing is so good that fans get into it. And he's got good energy. <laughs> they but get like, over the wall. I told you yeah. this before, and I'll probably tell the story again. I wasn't a wrestling fan, but at the time I was in North Carolina, and the WWF came to that house show in Greenville. And the only reason I went was to see Dean Ambrose. He was in the main event wrestling um, Wyatt, and that match wasn't really good. I didn't really enjoy it. And Cody Rhodes was nobody and meant nothing to me. And he came out, I think, as Stardust. And he made eye contact. Like, I know I made eye contact with Cody Rhodes, and I think he made eye contact individually with every fan. And we left the building talking about Cody Rhodes and nobody else. Mm, Yeah. I understood what you said earlier, that you can't always trust Cody Rhodes. I don't think he's had um, the best 2021. But I will say, Cody, when he's good, when he's in that 2019-2020 mode, like, he, he could be just about as good as anyone. And part of that, yeah, is like he is so authentic in his crowd connection when he's in that right zone. So that that's a very astute thing to say, I think. Yeah. And it matters, you know, like it's a weird thing because I never, especially we're, we're, we're thinkers, we're hardcore wrestling fans. 
difference. But, you know, there is a difference between Sid could play a live crowd. Yoko, I, I, the thing I want to get across is that I think Yokozuna and Undertaker both, they have a physical presence, but they're also really, really smart about the business and how to be who they're supposed to be. Yes, yes. Another thing they share with Andre, I think. Yes, absolutely. And that's what this one just surprised me. Like, I had no, like, Yoko versus Virgil was like another match to get through, you know. Because <laughs> I know Yoko. He's not making a debut for me. I've watched him so many times. But, man, this is what I meant, too, about doing the Legacy Series. I'm no longer surprised about anything because as an adult watching this stuff objectively, like, I see why Yokozuna would get his 93 push. We can argue if it should have happened immediately or not. But if I watch... If I hear Vince McMahon's in the announce booth and Yoko takes off his robe and the fans behave like they did, which reminds me of how they respect, how they reacted when Undertaker came out in 90, I know that Vince McMahon's paying attention to that. Yeah, I mean, um, if he's paying attention at all, he's paying attention to that. So fortunately, he noticed something with Yokozuna. And um, yeah, we're going to get a lot of good things from him. I think it was the right choice. I don't think, surely, like, at the start of 92, they were not thinking, oh, we're going to push this guy that we probably never even heard of. But, yeah, they're making some bold strokes here. We just talked about Razor Ramon will go right to the main event. Now Yokozuna will go right to the main event. They will do some really smart, bold strokes. And yet, freaking Skeleton Hogan is still coming out as champion. So, like, they're really going to blow their own foot off here. And uh, it really annoys me. <laughs> I think that's very human at the same time. Like I'm more so I am more surprised that they made all those bold strokes than that skeleton Hulk Hogan walked out with the world title. I suppose. Like when you remember who's in charge, it's not so shocking. But man, if you came in as an outsider and just like tried to analyze some things, like I think your mind would be blown that that happened. Yeah, it's one more death. And but also too though. If there was a chance that the Ultimate Warrior was winning Rumble and WrestleMania, Ugh. then they never really departed that far. Like, there's just five minutes between Warrior's going to win it, and then, oh, my God, we got Hogan. So let's put him in the Warrior spot, which would have been the Hogan spot before it was the Warrior spot. Ugh. So they're both, like, making all these bold moves and then maybe also not at all. <laughs> I guess let's just be glad Hogan didn't come back in time to just win the Rumble and, like, squash oh. Yokozuna before, you know, the plans changed. So... That's another one that we might not be doing this series if that happened. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I think 91 was too, him winning 91 was too much. And I've heard that Perfect maybe was supposed to win that. I don't know if it's true or not. In 91? Oh, that would have been nice. Who knows? Who knows? There's a back kick from, uh, under, uh, from Undertaker from Yoko that is very nice in this matchup. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're like me, you enjoy a good squash match. And Yokozuna was very good at these squash matches. So he will dismantle Virgil and show off some of what he can do. And uh, he will do one of the greatest finishers ever, which is to sit on a man with, like, 600 pounds. So Yes. There's an over-the-shoulder, either suplex or choke slam. I don't know which one it officially should be. I think they call it a suplex, but, man, it also looks like a choke slam to me. <laughs> I love Yokozuna. I'm going to have so many good things to say, I think. Yeah, there's there's actual oohs and ahs. So Virgil, kind of, Virgil tries to roll this man up. And so we get our first uh, bonsai drop in inadvertently almost, <laughs> where instead of rolling him up, he just falls on Virgil, and the crowd reacts to that. Yeah. And then we get the, Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say big credit to Yokozuna because I, I don't think I've ever heard of him injuring someone. Maybe I just never heard of it. But, man, nope. like, the way he crushes people, like, 
credit to him because he does it and it looks like death and yet i believe he worked very safely so that's that's a big credit to him he is praised by everyone like i think yokozuna is like a night off for people a 600 pound night off that's beautiful man that's that bobby eaton uh, energy right there yeah. i don't say that lightly that's beautiful god man this is amazing you gotta be so happy and here again friends and 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 folks listening we did like a, a year-long buildup of uh, earthquake like dropping on people <laughs> and it was like a main event like level push and nobody ever really reacted to it and yokozuna before he hits a first bonsai does this kind of accidental fall thing and the cold crowd reacts so you watch the rea- the natural reactions to yoko and it's not a knock on Earthquake, but watch the Earthquake feud, and you know that you got something special here that you did not actually have then. Man, compare and contrast the visual of Earthquake's way of sitting on people and Yokozuna's way of sitting on people. Mm. It's like, oh my god. The difference is vast. Like, it's enormous. Like, Yokozuna had the technique of sitting on people down perfectly. Yeah. The only thing that still freaks me out to this day, and I don't know if it's on pay-per-view and we'll see, it probably is, is when he goes for the bonsai drop and Undertaker sits up and almost does it too late. Oh, yeah. His head could have wound up in a really uncomfortable place. <laughs> yeah. did not. So, jeez. That, that thing freaks me out talking about it right now. That could have been the end of The Undertaker altogether. That could have been the end of wrestling. That yeah. kind of grisly murder, I think, would have uh, soured everybody. <laughs> so, it's smokes. come close, but... Yoko, I was thinking the other day, it kind of makes me sad because Luger wrestles Yoko at SummerSlam 93, so he's got two more years. Is is that Luger's best match in the WWF? Oh, I would have to think about it. It's got to be a contender. It's pretty good, yeah. no matter what people say. So Yeah, so that might be the best it ever gets for Lex Luger, which, again, is a hell of a compliment for Yokozuna, and so I'll say this one more time. if you ever, if ever, For those who do like the documentaries... Yeah, if you ever want to feel happy and sad at the same time, you know, watch that uh, special they recently did on Yokozuna because it's quite it's quite something to behold. Mm. So Yoko beats Virgil, of course. It's clear that there's something in the air, and again, we got the, we got this is the legacy series, so we got to start tipping our head to the early portion of Survivor Series because it is giving us some of the forerunners for everything to come. It is, yeah, it's serving a nice uh, purpose here, even though. We, we didn't even say it, but this Survivor Series has almost no, like, Survivor Series matches on it, so yeah. we're going to confront one of them in a minute here, but, um, yeah, different format, very much so. Even that one, thankfully, is a watered-down version where it's tag teams, and if your partner gets pinned, you go back to. Yes, which on paper I don't like, but considering who was involved, I was very <laughs> pleased to move things along. I agree, 100%. So, we're going to go to the back. Sean Mooney is with Randy Savage and Mr. Perfect, who are in a very, very good spirits after their match. Yeah, yep, they, they are congratulated. Sean Mooney tells them uh, it likely isn't over, uh, but Mr. Perfect, I forgot about this till I read it in my notes. Um, yep. So, yeah, we didn't have enough with, like, the kind of uncooked birds earlier with Afa. Now, Mr. Perfect has three uncooked turkeys for the heels and he has a little one for Bobby Heenan. So take that for what you will. I could have lived without the, uh, the uncooked props. Randy Savage enjoys it. And he says, did I make the right decision for a partner or what? <laughs> he, they celebrate a lot because I guess they won by DQ, but it wasn't really like a strong win. So maybe shouldn't be quite so happy. 
Yeah, like I don't understand why Flair is so mad and they're so happy because yeah, they act like they they pinned them both like on top of each other and just like decimated them, but they really didn't. So yeah, that's another one where the heels are like, you know, we need to find out who the better men actually are in the baby faces. Like, no, we sneak by, we'll take it, leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you got it. So I think I heard uh, old Conrad and Bruce Pritchard talking about this because uh, it was like we'll end a little bit early, but yeah. You know, I wouldn't be a good friend if I didn't give you an upsetting image when I don't when I don't have to. Oh boy! So they had a conversation about Savage and the Warrior. Like, what would have happened if Warrior never left? Because they were a tag team. They had this. I forgot what their stupid name was. Like all these stupid uh, superhero teams. But they were talking about what could they have done in '93. And one idea they came up with is WrestleMania: Savage and Warrior versus Beefcake and Hogan. (laughs) Jesus! Oh. Was Zeus not available to, like, nah. come in and make the match worse? I don't know if he would have made it worse, to be honest. Like, that just sounds awful. Yeah. I'd love to see how that match. They think that match makes sense with when one of them. And, uh, like, I, I've made clear what I think of Ultimate Warrior, but there's one guy in that match, too. You can't make it the match you're pretending like it is if one of them is in it. <laughs> Amen to that. Oh, man. So here we go, folks. We are the closest thing to a Survivor Series match at 92, we got the Natural Disasters. Teaming up with the Nasty Boys to take on the Beverly Brothers and Money Incorporated. I can't believe I kind of forgot about this. I was reminded here. Why is Money Inc.'s whole gimmick that Rotunda takes the mic before the match and is like, you really ought to pay your taxes? <laughs> like, that's, he doesn't cut a promo. He just says, like, one line to remind people about their taxes. That's their whole gimmick. That's it. There's nothing more going on. And that was his gimmick before Money Incorporated. Yeah, and we'll be after, I think, so, yeah. But they never became a team in that way, which is, it's also, I'm getting tired of it every time we watch a pay-per-view being wrong about who the tag champions are. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't even remember. Who are the tag this champions time, now? This time it's Money Incorporated, but I think at SummerSlam, when LOD beat Money Incorporated, I thought, my God, they're the tag champions. So, like, every time I'm off on who the champions <laughs> are, because I think it's different every time. Oh, it's this hellish Jimmy Hart progression where he, like, keeps like abandoning like teams keep turning face on him and they keep like losing the tag champions and it's like this horrible cycle of just jimmy hart jimmy hart jimmy hart it's just it's not good yeah uh i think i'll say one nice i like that jimmy hart had a bow tie made out of money but aside from that like they talk about oh natural disasters and nasties were all jimmy hart's teams and now he's on the other so three out of four of these there's one team I enjoy, and then three out of four are Jimmy Hart teams. Yeah, that team will be eliminated like way before anybody else, which is just a crime. There's a kid in, in the crowd who is my polar opposite as a fan. His sign that he chooses to take the Survivor Series is Shake'em, Quake'em, and Nasty Sizem. Wow. Man, that kid put so much work into supporting some terrible tag teams. <laughs> All right. Security should have took that sign, but, you know, <laughs> we live in an unjust world. <laughs> okay, so I have, I have gigantic praise for a man named Blake Beverly, so I don't know which one he is, but... I could never keep him straight, but, yeah, he especially is great. Bo Beverly, the Beverly Brothers are just awesome, and uh, they are the ones who saved this match from being as bad as it could have been. Like, this is not as bad as it looks on paper. It's not good. But it's not as bad, I thought, as it looked on paper, and that's pretty much because of the Beverly Brothers. Yeah. In the beginning, uh, one of the Beverly Brothers keeps ducking Typhoon and strutting, and Jimmy Hart says, this guy's so slow on the on megaphone. 
Oh, good stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as it can be. Bobby Heenan gives advice to the wrestlers. Vince Man says, why would anyone listen to you? You advise Ric Flair and Razor Ramon, and they lost. <laughs> and let's not talk about the way they lost once again. So, Okay, where are my, my Blake Beverly uh, notes? Yeah, talk about him, and that's about all we have to say, so tell me. (laughs) The way he's bumping with Sags is, like, really impressive. I love his bumping during that. So good. I think he hits one of those big power slams. I I think that's Enos. Let me look it up a second. I can never remember which one is which, so let me check it out. Yep, that's Mike Enos. He's the man, for sure. Yeah. I even noted a little bit of good offense from one of the nasty boys, so I'll just throw that in there. <laughs> As brave of you to admit. Very nice. Um, the booking of this is incredible, though, because as I alluded to, like, the Beverly Brothers go out way before anybody else, which is just a, a, an insane decision, in my opinion. And then we go all the way down, and who are your survivors? It's the worst team in the whole match. It's the nasty boys. So... The bookie of this makes no sense because also you've got Money Inc. and they're like the brave underdogs, like fighting four guys, which makes no sense for anything. So just nothing about this makes any sense. Yeah. We've now divided the tag teams too because we got high energy head shrinkers and the Beverly's on one side and we got Nasty Boys, uh, Natural Disasters and Money Inc. on the higher side. Yeah. And would you ever expect it, uh, Money Inc. to be with those others, and yet I think that's where they belong. There's a Lloyds of London reference from Bobby Heenan, and Vincent Man says, what? Uh, so, it's an interesting night. Blake does a good, Blake is the all-star for me, and like you said, Beverly's are the first to go out, and then all the other teams stay almost an equal amount of time, because the next two falls go right after each other. Yeah, yeah, everyone else gets to stay for the whole match, basically, but not the Beverly Brothers. For God's sake. The Steiners need to come in and wreck some of these stupid teams. So. Yes. Uh, IRS will pin Typhoon. He has his feet on the rope in a roll-up, but none of that's even pushing over this, the top half of the body, so it has no effect on the pin happening. So Typhoon just gets pinned. And then right after that, the Nasty Boys run in. They hit a roll-up, I think, and a pin. And the winners and survivors are the Nasty Boys. I just, no matter what the Nasty Boys do to win, I just always somehow imagine that they just, like, threw up their armpits and the other guy fainted or tapped out or something, so. That's their whole gimmick. Yep, that's the whole thing. (laughs) Okay, so, on the phone in the back, you can talk to Tatanka, Mr. Perfect, or Randy Savage. Mr. Perfect, looking like he's having the time of his life, very antagonistic, even as a baby face, uh, smirking. Um, Bobby Heenan. Uh, Man asked, um, do you want to call Mr. Perfect? And Bobby Hinn says, I'll tell you what I'll call Mr. Perfect. Please, we're on the air, says Mr. Man. <laughs> so good. <laughs> nice little old school spot that we don't see as much anymore. Indeed, indeed. Now you just say it. So, it's not as Bobby Hinn also says, I'm not a turkey, a chicken, or a weasel. I'm a human being with a mind, and this mind is going to be put to work. <laughs> a good line. I think when Doink was out, he's making the stuff, the, the balloon animal. And Vince is like, oh, is that a weasel? And he is like, oh, it's definitely a weasel. I, I don't know what it is. He's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, so good, yeah. Heenan and Vince, um, we're never going to praise them like uh, maybe some other combinations, but they, they have some very nice moments. 
Yeah, I think when Vince McMahon allows it, they can do well together. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. We are down to our final two matches, I believe. Got it. Casket match. We got Kamala versus Undertaker. And again, just lore and history and legacy. This is a match we, we cannot overlook. Absolutely so. And I will say, this match is a little bit like um, Yokozuna and Virgil in that it kind of uh, punched above its weight. And I got to love it for that. If you want kind of the more like traditional great wrestling match, you're going to look at some other matches on this card. But if you want a match that kind of knows what it needs to be and kind of excels in that element, then this is another one that I really appreciated. Yeah. Another one with Yoko. And this one is that there were two times I thought the crowd was completely dead. And then the next match would pop the crowd again and then would die again. And I thought, okay, so it's not a dead crowd. It's just match by match case, I guess. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, I think they were not really excited at all for the um, elimination match, but this one, yeah, they will definitely make some noise for him. So Undertaker coming out with this gigantic casket, you know, it's a scene, it's an image, it's a mood, it's a match, so, you know, fans are obviously going to react to it, and, you know, we cannot give too much credit to Kamala, who is both kind of villain who needs to attack and he's also deathly afraid of the casket, and he plays both roles, and he does it at the same time, and he does it well. Yeah, every time we talk about Kamala, I feel like I have to throw out there that, yes, obviously, it's a gimmick that could not fly today with good reason, and yet the performance of this guy is so freaking great. And look at the way the crowd reacts to him, and you want to talk about that crowd connection. Like, there's a reason Kamala got brought back, like, time and time again to different promotions, because this is just a guy who gets it. Like, he knew what he wanted his gimmick to be. He knew how to, like, get it over. He could portray, like, all these different attitudes and, like, feelings towards the match and just did a wonderful job. Like you said, I think you cannot give too much credit to this guy. He's running away from The Undertaker. So he's on the floor and The Undertaker's in the ring. And then he raises his hand at The Undertaker because he just wants him to stay away. And it's supposed to be, like, a threatening, like, oh, I'll backhand you or something. But it looks like the sophisticated kind of queen wave. And I'm like, <laughs> this, this Kamala, again, to me, always has more to offer than he ever even did. Oh, for sure. He's Kamala can be very delicate in, like, yes. a way. And, uh, oh, man, he's one of, he just kind of, like, floats around at times. Like, for the size he is and the way he moves, like, it's really incredible, I think. I think all human beings... If we deserve anything, it's alternate universes and stuff, because mm. I really think you would need to see like a hundred versions of yourself to say, OK, that is actually if I had to pick, that's where I need to go. And I think what breaks my heart and appeals to me are the guys who had certain gimmicks and it's all they're going to be. And you can tell they could be a lot more. That's why one of the classic things in history is when McFoley is going to have those sit downs and, and he's going to set the record straight that like. I never thought anything of it in my generation. If it's a big man, they were a monster and they like to feel pain. Mm. You know, like you don't have a second thought because that's how they're all booked. And like when he sits down and says, you know, you know, hey, <laughs> you know, that that's idiotic pretty much. Like, you know, I like to feel pain. And so, God, I wish I could see like 17 different Kamalas. Mm. And of course, 16 of them wouldn't be Kamala. <laughs> <laughs> be something else i was just thinking about that yeah if this guy ever had a different gimmick um i, I don't know I, it's hard to imagine because he he was so dedicated to this shtick but uh i don't know could have been some incredible stuff there as well it's also why you see though too 
I think with the Undertaker, like why he gets so much respect because he's wrestled so many people and you rarely hear bad things. And so I think Kamala and Undertaker are working well together and they're going to, you know, Kamala's going to be upset with his pay, which, you know, that's his right to be. And like, who knows? It might be unfair pay, but he thought I should wrestling with the Undertaker. I should have got more money, hmm. but, but they're not upset with each other is my point. Oh, I never so. even knew that. I, I think he should have gotten a nice check for his performance here. He did a, one of the best jobs on the pay-per-view probably for what they asked him to do. So, so this is, uh, this is better, a lot better, I think than the last match. And it's, Yes. It's the, it's the beginning of something, too. Like, you can never take away. Every time we talk about a casket match from here to the end of the Legacy Series, it started with Kamala and Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I, it's the little things, too, because I love Kamala. He does a lot to kind of put over the Undertaker, and the match does a lot to put him over. At one point, he's just, like, slamming Undertaker down. And like you said, Kamala, this guy's a monster. He fought Hogan. He fought Andre, all these guys. Like, he was fearsome. He's slamming down Undertaker. Undertaker keeps sitting back up and he the way he reacts to it he like freaks out about it and it just puts mm. it over that much more it's a great sequence if i was approaching this from an academic standpoint i would like to do a study on the success of wrestlers as connected to their expressive faces when they wrestle <laughs> well kamala has one of the best for that so uh Man, the faces he makes, the sounds he makes, like, I can picture them perfectly. They're just, uh, they're iconic. That's the people that don't get it a lot of times. Even some that I like, though, you never see expressive faces with some people. And, like, his eyes, his reactions, his looking around. Like, when a wrestler is alive to every little detail, it's a lot easier for you to be alive to every little detail. Yeah, so true. I never really thought about Kamala as one of these types who's, like, keyed in to every moment, but I really ought to have been because I think he's exceptional at it. Yeah. And I think uh, maybe, like you said, the gimmick can be limiting. But, uh, yeah, no, he's so on the ball with everything he does. How many matches do you have thrust versus thrust? Because <laughs> they both hit each other <laughs> under the chin with a little uppercut open hand thrust. Sure, yeah, Kamala will even kick you there, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, hey, a lot yeah. of thrusting for sure. God, come on, man. We're, we are sending him out on a high note because he it's some good stuff. As well we should, and he hasn't even turned face yet. He's got to learn how to bowl with Reverend Slick. So. <laughs> man, Bobby Heenan says, hey, you live by the coffin, you die, uh, get beat by the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another great bit there. Um, I love at the end, uh, what is it, Kim Chi tries to get Kamala to use the urn. As a weapon, but this is so great. It fits perfectly with everything. Kamala won't use it because he's afraid of it. And Kim Chi yeah. probably should have known that, but he's like a weird non-human, so he doesn't understand that. Um, so it's a great bit, and Taker, of course, will uh, clonk him with that urn and uh, and bury him in the casket. So it's a great final sequence. It also says a lot about what we've privileged in the West for so long that the way to make someone not human is that they have really good instincts. Mm, yeah, you know, because this is the greatest part of the match in the story is that the lore and myth building that we are currently doing about the urn. Not only does that do a lot to make the Undertaker and sustain him, but we're going to find out that he's affected by the urn. So the person who is right in this match is Kamala and he wants he doesn't want to touch the urn. He has the only thing to do it. They hot potato it around. Because the urn is, for at least in parts of Undertaker's career, the strength of the Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they are laying so much foundation 
for what The Undertaker will be. So I, I got to give credit to it. And again, just to Kamala for how much he put over the whole thing. He also uses it as a weapon. He gets the victory. So Undertaker is going to win. And man, this is one old school uh, debut of the casket because he's going to roll Kamala into the casket, close the casket, and then Paul Bear is going to break out hammer and giant nails, and Undertaker is going to go one by one, nailing shot the coffin. I love that. I understand why they. It's kind of time consuming, so you don't do it every time. But God, what a visual, man! I love that. That was great, and it really puts it over too, because it's a coffin match. Usually, it's like, oh, I'll shut you in the coffin, and like you'll just get out in a minute. But like, no, I'm nailing you in this coffin. So that's something a little different there. No, I love it, especially for our first one. Is yeah. the authenticity at a thousand? And then I think this is just a practical thing because you need both hands to push the casket, which Paul Bearer has to do. So he has to take the urn and he places the urn on top of the casket. Mm, yeah. But everything that we just said about the match and then placing the urn on top of the casket that Kamala's in, my God, what imagery. Yeah, great visual. Absolutely. So this... You know, it might not be the best match of all time, but I don't know how you you skip this match if you're on the journey uh, with the Legacy Series. Yeah, yeah. It's a match, like, you say what you want. It's uh, short. It's kind of sticky. Like, it might not be for everyone, but yeah, if you're a fan like you and me, I think you will find a lot to enjoy in this match. Yeah. After the match, Bobby Heenan says, there's something in that urn, and Vincent Man says, there's something in that coffin. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. I was wondering if they wanted, like, I don't know if they ever say who's in the urn, who's, like, supposed to be in there. They'll make a lot of conversation about that early on. I don't think it ever comes to anything. Yeah, it's such a big thing at the beginning, and then we'll see. Just like everybody that wrestles for the WWF, you have to survive. Like You're going to be booked really well if you're a top guy, and you're going to go through some slumps, and we'll see all the different stories and approaches to The Undertaker still to come. Yeah, yeah. You want to talk about highs and lows? We'll see some with Undertaker, for sure. Right now, uh, we're going to our main event. So this is this is also historical. So it's, it's Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart in 1992 closing Survivor Series. So uh, it starts out Shawn Mooney is with Shawn Michaels, who's blowing bubbles. Again, like the point makes no sense to me, like, you know, he's got everything to lose. I got nothing to lose. Like, okay, cool. But, like, you know, really, no, because on this night, it's not about being IC champion. It's about being world champion. If you don't beat him, you're not the world champion. Right. And for all this talking point, they don't really work it into the match at all. Like, you think, I don't, what does that mean? Brett has to wrestle really carefully, and Sean is, like, more reckless, maybe. But, no, no, there's really nothing about that. So, it's, 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 it's ridiculous because Sean. In this promo, they're talking about, like, his storyline with Sherry, his storyline with Janetti, people he actually has an angle going on with, and yet here he is wrestling Brett and in this kind of, like, cold, out-of-nowhere match. Yeah, it also shows, like, you're supposed to have Sean and Brett at SummerSlam, and I think they made the right move because of the arena, but it shows you can't just, like, say, we'll put this to the side and then put it in the microwave, like, a few months later. Like, <laughs> that's not how things work. Yeah, and I mean, Brett Bulldog was much better than this yeah so you know you i like sean bulldog better than this you like what sean and the bulldog better than this oh interesting i would probably put them on a similar level in kind of slightly different ways but yeah i could absolutely see the argument for that i see that sean goes to the ring gene Erkelin is with bret hart who is laughing at what he's seeing 
um, a very confident Brett the Hitman Hart. Yeah, um, this is my first sign that they don't really know what to do with Brett, that I kind yeah. of already knew, but, like, they're just like, oh, well, you're so scientific, and you work very hard, and did I mention you're a very scientific wrestler, and Brett, I guess, yeah, like, this is such a turn away from, like, that great promo we cut at SummerSlam, which I thought was excellent, and this promo is not good, like, it just... I know about giving thanks and I'm surviving a long time. And I don't know, like there's nothing here for me to sink my teeth into. It does. You can make an argument throughout the nineties for a long time to come. The worst break you can get is to be the babyface world champion in Vince McMahon's company. <laughs> Cause that's what yeah. he's being right here. Like he's got to make this little Thanksgiving comment. Cause he's going to be with Santa at the end. Gene Erkland cuts a promo for him first. And like, he's looks like he's ready to talk and Gene just goes on and on. Yeah. And then, like you said, it's very much like that first promo in a way where he, when he first won the belt is let me reintroduce myself. Like I like to technic, I like technical wrestling. I'm very fair. You know, I've been around a long time. I've survived. I've, you know, all took on all shapes and sizes, tag team belts, IC belts. I respect Shawn Michaels, you know, just all these little dead, dead weightless things to say. Yeah, yeah, there's no fire, energy, or real interest in this stuff. He didn't even talk about his dad abusing him, so, like, you know, there's there's not even that factor this time. But I guess you're right at the end, beginning and the end, though, because if you don't have a story with somebody, what do you say about them? Right, yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's the real problem here. I think we all know they could have put a story between these, but there's just no effort, zero effort to do any kind of inciting incident or anything, like, to create interest with this match. Maybe it's because I haven't watched this era in a long time, Brett as babyface, but he's really overdoing that hand gesture. Like it's, it's way too big. I'd I like him to tone it down a little bit. The one where he's kind of like almost shrugging. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I know the one. It's so. too big, and the shoulder pads with it. Like I thought like the shoulder pads are like Vince Man. Like, well, if I got to look at you, could you look like you got big shoulders <laughs> while your coat's on? I gotta say, and I. I don't know if this is true. This is just pure speculation on my part, so feel free to ignore it if you like. But this almost feels like one of these Vince McMahon matches where he's, like, out to prove that, like, these guys aren't really stars or, like, successes. So I don't know why he does this sometimes. I feel like he does. I don't know. If I was going to set out to prove that Sean and Brett should not be, like, the main eventers right now, this is probably exactly the match that I would book. Mm. At minimum, I think I can get on board with the Shawn Michaels part of that. Yeah. Because, like, Shawn Michaels is a dead, like, lifeless. I have no idea why he's even in this match. He doesn't seem like he cares. There's no story. There's no feud. At least with Bret Hart, the one thing they're trying to do is, like, well, two things. He's the most scientific wrestler that's ever existed in the world. And (laughs) apparently every world champion has been ducking and avoiding, and they don't wrestle many matches because Bret Hart is setting the world on fire by, like, defending his belt, and, like, is that going to cost him because he just wrestles too much? I don't understand it. All the booking choices for pay-per-view are just ridiculous at this point because you've got Brett and Ric Flair, and they're supposed to be having this thing, but they will never, like, interact in a significant way. You've got Randy Savage around. You've got uh, Razor coming up. You've got Mr. Perfect, Undertaker, all these people, and just, like, just a random, like you said, lifeless match with Shawn Michaels. You know, it's just such a, such a weird choice to put on pay-per-view here. And I guess the idea is, yeah, it's like Shawn Michaels is just supposed to be like Virgil, basically, 
because I said before the match, oh, you defended your title against everyone, and like Virgil was on that list, and Sean is yeah. just like the next name on the list, I guess. That's what it is. There's no, there's not supposed to be a feud between them. It's just next man up, and right. you know, it's not the TV title. Like on one of the weekend shows, there would be a 10 minute time limit every TV title. You know, that's what this is kind of like. This match maybe could have used the 10 minute time limit. Yeah, the good stuff to me is early, like. I think Brad always kisses the belt. I think Shawn Michaels blew on the belt and he raced a kiss when the referee showed the belt to him. <laughs> so that was kind of nice. I like the little scuffling at the beginning. Like they're filling each other out, but they're kind of doing it aggressively. So that was cool. Um, and then, you know, it's going to get into a some counter wrestling and then some headlocks. And I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know if you're supposed to throw your whole match out, but you can't close the show when you're trying to get over and just let the crowd stay as dead as they stay the entire time. Yeah, some kind of changeup was needed. I was, it probably sounds like we're super down on this match, and maybe you are. I just, there's, like, a lot of good stuff in here as well, like you sure. would expect. Yeah, of course. Like, the technical wrestling is very good. And I, even though the crowd didn't fully buy into it, I feel like they are working to establish, like, a different kind of world championship match that they can build on in the future. And I do think that's good. And you've got Brett bumping and you or Michael's bumping and you've got Brett and like really showing what a fighter he is. So there's a lot of good stuff in here. It's just disappointing because you know what it could have been and it could have been even better than it was. Yeah. They're not going to have a bad match. I don't think, but no, if it was the second match on the card, I'd be like, man, you need to look out for both of these guys, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I like your point that they're setting, they're setting up a new kind of match, which is never going to be easy. You know, but it's just, man, you got to, this is the year that Bret Hart wrestled Piper and the British Bulldog, and now this is him closing, you know, the show as world champion. So you, you, we got to judge it according to its context. Yeah. That's uh, unfortunate. It's his weakest uh, probably pay-per-view match of the year. I forget what he did at the Rumble. I think he was just kind of in the mix. But, um, yeah, it's his weakest match. That's unfortunate because, yeah, it's in kind of the most prominent spot. And I'll tell you, it's, it's no uh, Michaels versus Rick Martell either. No, no, not God, not even close. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but at one point, Bobby Heenan says, "I get I get paid a lot for this," and Vince says, "I'm I'm sure you do." <laughs> <laughs> oh, ben, My so favorite uh, Bobby Heenan line for this main event: um, If Bret Hart loses that title tonight, it's going to be a gloomy day tomorrow with 65 of his brothers sitting around trying to eat that two-pound bird they caught up in Calgary. Oh, man, that's awesome. And he's already doing better than what we're going to hear from Jerry Lawler in the feud. So. Yeah, Jerry Lawler, in, imminent, incoming. Like, I think before the Rumble event, he will be introduced on WWF TV. Wow. that's not, You're right. 92 to 93 is the biggest. That's like when that calendar turns, we are going in another direction. <laughs> it's a chasm to get across there. And I think I said, like, I feel like the whole color of the company changes from blue to red. Like, if they had just renamed themselves as something in 93, I wouldn't have been shocked because they could be like a different company, it feels like, practically. I'm so glad we're finding ourselves saying these things because I think one thing we kind of thought in WCW is like this happens all the time, but it never really happens in WWF. I'll say when it happens in WWF, I feel like it happens a lot more decisively. Mm. Like clearly there is somebody saying like, hey, everything is different now. Whereas in WCW, they kind of, like, crashed into a new thing every, like, three months or so at times, so. Yeah, I, I can't deny that. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple, like, Michaels hits a stun gun, like, a beautiful stun gun off, like, a full speed running Bret Hart that yeah. 
Yeah, Bret Hart hits the corner to his shoulder. Like, that's a good camera work audio of Bret just in the corner, kind of grunting and selling his uh, shoulder injury. Let's see what else we got here. Way too much headlock, face lock is my next comment. Um, yeah, the biggest, I think, problem of this match, and probably what killed the crowd, is they just spent too much time, like, stretching out on the mat. And I get yeah. the idea, is like, Bret Hart is like, oh, he, what a scientist of wrestling, so scientific. But, like, it's just too much, and it doesn't work for the crowd, and it goes on too long. This whole match, I feel like, is maybe too long. What is this, like, half an hour, maybe? Yeah. So, it's just too much, man. Yeah, it's like four or five, two, four or five good sequences too in a thirty-minute match. Yeah, yeah, so that, that's the biggest problem I think for all the strengths of this match. It's just too long. Like if they had cut out like uh, five to ten minutes of this, I think they would have been doing a lot better. I feel like there's times too towards Bobby Heenan starts just starting sentences and then not finishing them, and I don't think they know, they know what to say exactly. It, it, it gets weird at certain points. Uh, then it kind of picks up for the end. Michaels hits the super kick, which is not his finisher, but it's, it knocks Brett out, and Michaels is too tired to cover him to kind of, I guess, give Sean a little bit of shine. And then he picks him up. He's going to hit the side suplex. Brett blocks it, then goes for a punch. Michaels ducks and then hits the side suplex. But on that, he gets a two. Uh, Michaels is going to get on the second rope and lazily jump at Brett Hart, who's going to catch his legs and put him in the sharpshooter. Shawn Michaels is going to submit much like Bret Hart did in 97 and Sean, excuse me, Bret Hart will retain the heavyweight championship. Yeah. If you thought that sounded like a good sequence, it was actually. So again, yeah. I put over that, like there's some, uh, some very good stuff in this match, you know, for all its flaws. I think, um, a certain kind of wrestling fan might think this actually was a great match. So, you know, check it out, decide for yourself. You'll see some good stuff for sure, but maybe like us, you will see the opportunities where it could have been better. Yeah. Well, it's a good match, a bad match in between the match. It, it doesn't rise to the occasion that it's being asked. Like all the, the, the Chris Jericho like people who are wrestling in 92 or not like in Japan or Mexico watching like a tape of this and saying, Oh my God, we finally broke through. <laughs> well said. <laughs> so that kind of ends the survivor series that like, like I said, I've been watching wrestling since 1991 and I didn't watch that show till now. So, you know, I was always a little suspect of it. And it's, so it's, it's difficult to call because it's kind of like good and bad all at the same time in a lot of spaces rather than like, great than horrible which is a, a different kind of thing we've been seeing at times <laughs> yeah that element of mixed bag but also like the bag is even more mixed this time so the stuff that should be amazing is merely very good the stuff which you might think is bad is actually better than you would think um it's it's a weird pay-per-view i think uh, overall i did have fun with it but you do have that lingering sense of like something more could have happened here <laughs> Yeah, I think historically somehow it's better than what it is for its time because yeah. it gives us the casket match. It gives us Yokozuna. It gives us kind of this coming out from Mr. Perfect. It gives us this flair not letting go, which we now know is actually what's going to be what retires him from WWF. So there's a lot of things that matter uh, from this event. And then it's also closing out 93, 92 and opening up that door you said where what blue to red as we are going to switch everything up in the WWF. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. It's going to be a very, very big changeover. So we're going to be covering that. 
next time. Uh, we haven't talked about whether we're going to do Royal Rumble or Road to the Rumble first. I think there is some material to cover in between. So uh, if we do that, it should be very interesting to check that stuff out. Yeah, I trust your judgment. If you think it's worthy, then we'll do it. I mean, I'm still enjoying the era we're in, so I think I'm going to, yeah, if, if you're on board, I think uh, we'll do a Road to the Royal Rumble show next time. So that'll be interesting. We have the debut of Monday Night Raw, which, of course, uh, is a very historic occasion. Um, we have some big stuff coming up, so uh, join us in two weeks, and you will be along for that ride as well. Absolutely. Appreciate folks listening. Uh and looking forward to the transition. We will be as surprised as you as at whatever comes next. <laughs> Absolutely so. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Indeed, if you ever want to shout us out, uh, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow anytime. Happy to talk about the show or about wrestling at large. Uh, also, check us out on LOPForums.com, where we have a beautiful thread with a lot of great conversation about this show, as well as a lot of great um columns and articles and threads in there as well wrestlingheadlines.com another great source for great writing uh, material and of course the other podcasts on lop radio so lots of great stuff out there for you to check out this has been survivor series 1992 next time we'll be on the road into that red red year of 1993 it's gonna be very interesting as well so until then mystic take us home until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. About that, with green eyes and white stripes and salted tears, I knew that these were just its cautionary features. Keep telling myself nothing to fear. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet you. He's the one that's scared. It's just an undiscovered creature. Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form there it is, an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya, he's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just
just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya. He's the one that's scared. The undiscovered.